You're listening to Radio New Vegas, your little jukebox in the Mojave Wasteland. I am Mr. New Vegas, and I'm here for you. This just in. A package courier found shot in the head near Good Springs has reportedly regained consciousness and made a full recovery. Now that's a delivery service you can count on. Well, that's all I have for you. This is Mr. New Vegas wishing you ladylike luck tonight. War. War never changes. In 2008, video game publisher Bethesda Gameworks released Fallout 3 to critical and financial success. Capitalizing on that success, the company was eager to release another game as quickly as possible. With much of their in-house development team busy with what would emerge as the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, the company elected to commission an outside studio to develop the next entry in the franchise. That game company was Obsidian Entertainment, who was tasked with developing the game from top to bottom in 18 months. This proved to be a tremendous challenge. Not only was the scope and scale of the game massive, but the developers were completely unfamiliar with the engine and needed to be taught how to use it. Though the rush development brought a series of unnecessary stresses on the team, the game ultimately launched on time in October of 2010. But the work of the team was hardly done. As with many games published under Bethesda, the game launched with a wealth of technical issues, especially on the PlayStation 3 version. It required subsequent patches to mitigate the bugs, glitches, and crashes experienced by the players. Time constraints put on Obsidian led to an incomplete game being launched for no other reason than to maximize sales. The game was ultimately received positively, but the technical issues frustrated players and negatively impacted early review scores. This would come to hurt the developers, as the deal Bethesda made with them promised a bonus if the game received a score of 85 or higher on the review aggregation website Metacritic. The game got a score of 84. No bonuses were issued, and the developers received no royalties for sales. The team was set up to fight a losing battle from a disadvantageous position. The house always wins. These kinds of underhanded workplace tactics aren't isolated to Bethesda, though. This was merely a symptom of the abusive workplace culture the gaming industry has cultivated over the past several decades. Horror stories about inhumane work hours brought about by Crunch emerged in the weeks leading up to releases of AAA games like Red Dead Redemption 2 and The Last of Us Part 2. Major industry giants such as Ubisoft and Activision Blizzard are currently under fire for enabling a workplace culture of intense sexual harassment and abuse. The accusations levied against these companies are horrifying and too long to list. Ironically for Obsidian, Fallout New Vegas told the story about the rot of capitalism. You play as an exploited laborer who ends up embroiled in a plot where the greedy perpetuate yet another war to accumulate power and influence over the remnants of society, repeating the same mistakes that brought us to ruin in the first place. Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. War never changes. Ain't that a kick in the head. I'm Kiefer Lirette, and this is Select and Start. Welcome back to Select and Start. I'm really excited about today's episode because I am joined by a good friend of mine. We've been friends for years. I'm super proud to host him on uh, this still new show. He streams, he makes memes, and his ass looks great in jeans. Please welcome Will. Hello. That's uh, that's it. Those are my three character traits. You got all of them. You got every Excellent. single one of them. Well, yeah, I, I had to get in one. One, how are you doing, man? Uh, I'm all right. You know, I got allergies. My throat is a little nasally. So if I sound like I have something in my throat, um, that's because I have something in my throat. Yeah. 
It's Good thing this isn't sure. an audio experience or anything like that because I'd worry about making you uncomfortable otherwise. No, yeah, I don't think. And also, like, if there are listeners, I don't think that they're gonna like. I don't think that they're gonna hear this at all. It's it's it might be an audio experience, but um, wait, no, you said it's not an audio experience. Who knows what it is anymore? <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> you know, if nobody listens to it, is it really a podcast? Yeah, it's the tree falling in the forest of podcasts. Ex- precisely, yeah, just an empty empty void we're all yelling into for attention. Make sure you uh, email that to yourself so nobody else can uh, steal it. You can, uh, <laughs> you can trademark it. I can trademark. I've already said it on a podcast that no one's going to listen to. So, I mean, Yeah, but people will read your emails. So. People will re- absolutely read my emails. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. So, uh, Will, I wanted to talk to you about yourself for a bit. I mean, it's a podcast after all. Okay. Uh, we'll be talking about video games in a minute. Before we do that, I want you to sort of tell the listeners who don't have the pleasure of knowing you about yourself, what do you do, and what do you like? Okay, well, I don't think I've ever described myself this way before, but I would say I'm just a straight-up guy. You know, just like a dude, just like a classic dude. I've, I've, I like video games, but not in the sense that I love video games. You know, I like, I like writing, I like comedy, I like things that don't get me money. That's one of my favorite uh, things is uh, pro bono work. I hate you too. That's anti bono work. <laughs> it's always hard to talk about yourself because it's like, what do you say? Yeah. Do you have any projects or anything that you are like trying to actively promote or just do? Or are you just in full on dude mode right now? I think I might just be in full on dude mode. I don't know if I have any projects. Watch, um, watch Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. I have no involvement in it, but I love it. <laughs> it is. It, it's a great. It's a great show. Yeah, it's a great show. Everything about it is great and nothing is ever missed in it, especially not the middle of season two. Nothing has ever went wrong with Twin Peaks. Nothing's ever went wrong with Twin Peaks. Nothing ever went wrong in like the 30 minutes preceding this (laughs) (laughs) call that we're having right now. We didn't totally have... Nothing has ever went wrong in human history. I I don't know about that, Will. There were some bad people. (laughs) Nothing? Uh, Maybe you're right. I don't know. I did forget about like... uh, uh, who like Lee Harvey Oswald? Lee Harvey Oswald. I <laughs> right. mean Hitler. That was a big one. Uh, Benito yeah, Mussolini. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, Mussolini. The guy who did the middle of season two of Twin Peaks. That was a big thing. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the Mount Rushmore of bad people. Those four right there. Two war criminals. Um, a guy that killed a president, presumably, and uh, the guy who did the middle of Twin Peaks. I mean, I think a lot of people would describe Lee Harvey Oswald as just a guy, like just a dude. Maybe he would have liked video games if they didn't kill him. Yeah, I think he would have. I think if he would have lived long enough to at least see Pac-Man, I do think he would have loved it. Yeah. Imagine him playing like Sniper Elite. (laughs) He would have been great at that shit. Presumably. Maybe. Maybe he would have been good at it. What if he was horrible at it? Then we would have like felt really bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, that should be the test. If you think somebody is a sniper, give them sniper elite. And then if they're bad at the game, they didn't commit the crime. <laughs> you know, the classic sniper crimes that are always happening these days. Yeah, it's the DC sniper and then the Harvey <laughs> Oswald and then the American sniper. I mean, that was a pretty big crime, too. Yeah, I was going to say that one. I think those are the only three um, snipers. And then Widowmaker from Overwatch. Widowmaker, the, the end. Mount Rushmore of snipers. <laughs> Yes, we have a Mount Rushmore of snipers and some overlap with the Mount Rushmore of terrible dudes. Let's talk about your Mount Rushmore of games real quick, or not for games specifically, but maybe just like your sort of history with video games, what your portrait better picture of it would look like. The first video game I remember really playing was uh, 
Mario 64 mm-hmm. on our, our Nintendo 64. Like my sister is five years older than me. So she had a Nintendo 64 growing up and I was a child and I held a controller. Like I didn't really play games, but I understood what video games were at that point. I, I like fondly remember early like GameCube and everything because that's the first system we had. I had myself pretty much. Yeah. I played a lot of like Paper Mario Thousand Year Door and like Double Dash, a lot of Mario Kart Double Dash. Mm-hmm. What else? Oh, wrestling games. I, I've always loved professional wrestling for some reason. It might be because I was like deeply closeted until a couple of years ago and professional wrestling scratched that itch. Yeah, I loved wrestling games. I love basketball games. Uh, I got an Xbox 360 way late. I got one of the arcade ones that only had like four gigs of space. Mm-hmm. It was probably like $100 on a Black Friday deal, but that's the one I got. Will, that was a Nintendo Wii. Oh, was it? <laughs> oh, I do I do have a thing about the Wii. And I want to say like 2008, maybe like 2007, somewhere around there. Uh, my dad was like, hey, let's go to Best Buy. You can get yourself a PlayStation 3. And I was like, that's awesome. So we went and I got a PlayStation 3. I got Legends of WrestleMania, I think. Really bad game. I think that mm. that's the one on PS3. I got that and I got whatever Madden came out that year because, you know, I was a child. Uh, Got back home, played it for a couple hours. And then when my mom got home, she was like, oh, man, you should have gotten a Wii. That would have been like a lot of fun for everybody. And so I said, "Okay." we returned to the PS3 and I bought myself a Wii instead because I was like, "Okay, well, I'm a family man. You know, I got to provide for my family, got to provide them the video game entertainment that they need. And then nobody ever played the Wii besides me for like five years. Yeah, that's my that's my Wii story. But I didn't really play RPGs until I got like an Xbox 360 and I got it, I think, a week after Skyrim came out. And so I rented Skyrim from my local family video and I played it probably like like we re-rented it probably like three weeks straight. And then I was like, oh, this is insane. Like this is this is what a video game can be you know i can be a dragon man and i can uh, go to prison you know <laughs> like video games uh, started to scratch that itch that i uh, that i wanted i wanted to go to prison etc all right so so far we have you're a guy just like lee harvey oswald and you want to go to prison so i think this is going to be like yeah. an archive for like a future criminal record of yours i hope you know that yeah, earlier I said I have no notes and I have no manifesto, but it turns out this is it. This is the manifesto. God, this I'm going to just like this title everything. this episode like Fallout New Vegas with the Unabomber. I think it'll I think it'll get some clicks. <laughs> My legal team is uh, off screen right now, and they are actively telling me to stop. They are <laughs> they are adamantly shaking their heads right now, God. but I won't. I can't be stopped. This episode's going to um, end with one of your Mount Rushmore snipers killing you. <laughs> it is he's he's perched outside and he's ready right now or she a uh, true true mm-hmm. true but yeah <laughs> the sniper was a woman that classic bit that we all know they need to hire more women snipers is what i'm saying we need more women in stem <laughs> and the s is for sniping it is it is <laughs> a lady sniper huh didn't you know that two-thirds of the world's greatest assassins are women? I, in terms of recent games, it's been less RPGs, I feel like. Usually if I play an RPG, I just go back and play an RPG that I've already loved, you know? Like, it's hard for me to get into new RPGs, especially, like, open-world RPGs. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think it's... A, a part of it is time, I think. I don't really... 
have 60 hours to put into a video game anymore. And I think with games that I've already played before, I can take it at my own pace. You know, I don't feel the pressure of like, oh, what's going to happen next? I can just be like, hey, I know what's going to happen for the next 60 hours and I'm just going to enjoy it. I feel that because, I mean, I am a compulsive purchaser of games. What will happen is there'll be a sale for something that I know that I want to play and I will buy it and then it will sit on my shelf for (laughs) God knows how many years, which is a common problem for all gamers. But the thing I keep doing it with the most is RPGs. So I have Fire Emblem Three Houses or Persona 5 or... Uh, any wealth of RPG really right. that isn't like a Pokemon game or Elden Ring, which I'm playing right now, but any game that has more than a hundred hours of time that you need to dedicate to it. I own it, <laughs> but you can bet that I haven't played a single minute of that game because the, the time sink expected from you to finish that game, because I, if I drop a game, I'm never going to stop thinking about it. It's going to like weigh heavily on my mind. Yep. Yeah, uh, like I like with TV shows that go away for a year and come back. It's just like, well, that's a, that show's gone forever now. I can't ever. I'd have to watch the first season again to even remember what happened. Yep, that's triple time that for an RPG. If I drop a game and come back to it, it's I'm going to have to restart from the start. Dedicating a hundred plus hours to a video game is frankly insane. Uh, I did it for The Witcher Three, that's, which you know, I was yeah, I was about to say like The Witcher Three is absolutely one of the best games i've ever played and every time i try to play it i get 20 hours in and that's it i love it i love everything about it but it's just i can't i i I am physically unable of doing it anymore i can't take anymore you know yeah and i like i said i love the witcher 3 too it is up there for me in games but the idea of replaying it one it doesn't have like the depth that not depth necessarily but there's a lot of options and there's a lot of different styles of play you can try. And there's definitely a rich story that explores those options reasonably well from what I understand. But I know if I replay that game, I'm just going to do all the good ending stuff again. Like I'm going to try to do the, get the good dad ending because I would yep. feel like shit if I failed my daughter. Yep. So it's like, I've already got the meaningful experience I wanted to from that game the first time. If I were to replay that, it would just be an imitation of that time. Yeah. See, that's how I that's how I was with like Dishonored and stuff too. Cause like Dishonored, super short. You can beat it in like three hours or something. But I was always like attracted to that game because I was like, oh, you can play it a couple different ways. That's awesome. And then every time I do it, I just like I'm actively trying to just do stealth. That's it. I get locked into a certain mode with like every video game. And then once I play it that way, I can't deviate from that pretty much. Yeah, there's a lot of games that give me that temptation like i'm playing elden ring right now and i already want to start a new character i'm playing with a samurai build right now which probably the best build you can get based on just like my initial reflex of how they work with the different weapons yeah i'm letting you know it is (laughs) it's it's absolutely the best one you can do unless they've like nerfed it or something since i was playing but yeah it was the best one for sure did you finish it uh i am at the end i do this thing with FromSoft games where i get to the last boss and then i'm like all right well i beat the game (laughs) I just you know, never... I'm actually kind of the same way. Yeah. Like I got to the final boss of like the the proper, not the proper, I mean the the squid ending of Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. I got to the final boss of that and uh, I didn't beat the boss. So in my head, mentally, I beat that game. But it, in truth, and I'm saying this in full view of our audience, I never actually technically beat Bloodborne all the way through because I never got good enough to beat that last boss. See, that's crazy because uh, Bloodborne is the only one I did beat. Like, yeah, wait, are you saying like Orphan Akas? Is that the one you're saying? The D- you said the squid. Are you saying like the moon presence thing? Which, look, I've 
do not understand the lore of this. I had a friend of mine <laughs> like co-pilot with me. Okay. And he was like explaining the lore to me at the time. And he was telling me how I could like initiate the proper events to get the proper ending. So it was kind of like him guiding me through this. Got it. What England is in real life, but just right, guiding right, right. me through this just completely esoteric world. And he, I think he just ended up showing me the ending on YouTube after the fact or something. And it's basically just like, <laughs> I just like, you got to fight this old man in the, in your backyard and then you, you become a squid and it's like, okay, great. Uh, yeah. That's, that's I, the game. I, that. <laughs> I know it's not a Bloodborne podcast, but I do want to say every time I play Bloodborne, I do feel like Oliver Twist. Just like, that's, that's what I think of like Victorian England. Is Oliver Twist Victorian? Yes. But yeah, uh, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I like games. Congratulations, you're on the right podcast for that. <laughs> oh, man. Going back to Elden Ring and to the greater conversation of replaying an RPG one way. Yeah, that's just sort of like I can't replay those longer games because any game with like a binary uh, morality system, I'm just going to always do the good ending stuff because I, even Same. though it's just a bunch of zeros and ones, I'm just going to feel like shit the entire time if I do a single bad thing. Yeah, I'm already a bad person in real life. I don't need to be a bad person in video games too, you know? Yeah, and the FromSoft games are an exception though, like we were saying, because number one, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know if it's a good or bad ending or what bearing my actions have on my weight. And there's just a thrill like an old timey classic game thrill to just like not knowing what's going on and trying to figure it out on your own that I really enjoy. Right. It's basically every instinct that I usually have as a gamer, I just throw out the window for those games. It's like I'm a different person playing those, but otherwise I am a high strung mess who <laughs> loves familiarity and just goes to my old comforts every time. Yeah. Same, same. The thing about FromSoft is like, you can't be a bad person if like you literally don't know who you are or where you are. Like, <laughs> that's that it's the perfect excuse like the joe biden defense <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly listen here jack i don't fear the old blood because i don't know what it is <laughs> you know you know how joe biden sounds yeah yeah that's a, no that was him right he just came in yeah he just walked through i don't know why he's my roommate lately i don't know if he can't afford the rent or something but uh. you live in the white house right no i don't live in the white house i live at home and he can't afford to live there oh okay okay got it got it it's just like, I keep telling him, you know, like you are the president, you can fix the housing crisis. And then he's like, I don't know where I am right now. And then I feel a little bad for him and I give him a fudgesicle and then he goes, sits in the corner for three hours. Yeah. I've never watched, uh, I've never watched Seinfeld, but I just imagine him busting down your door like Kramer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's... You need to watch Seinfeld. I think that's a, yeah, I think it's kind of, yeah. I, I know, I know that it would like, I know that it would probably hit for me, but also like, I don't think I want it to hit for me, you know? Why don't you want it to hit for you? I think there are some things that I know I like that I never want to like. Why is that? Like, let's get let's get to that. This is a psychology this is podcast now. Yeah, this is therapy. That's how I was with like Perks of Being a Wallflower. I never watched that movie because I knew that I would like it. <laughs> like, Do you I never... think you don't deserve Perks of Being a Wallflower in Seinfeld? <laughs> yeah, just those two. Everything else I've never had a problem with, but Perks of Being a Wallflower in Seinfeld, I think, would be too on brand for me. And I want to be a little mysterious, you know? I wanna I wanna be open to interpretation as a person. Do you have any idea how fucked up it is that you won't watch Perks of Being a Wallflower because of some denial that you give yourself because there is a line in that movie that's like we accept the love we think we deserve? Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that that was a line in there. But yeah, I guess it's well, you haven't seen up. it. But yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know. When I was 14, I was too busy watching uh, 
what was I? Wa- I don't know what I was watching at 14. I was watching Submarine. I was watching the other Perks of Being a Wallflower. <laughs> Submarine is a better movie than Perks of Being a Wallflower. I will give you that. Okay. That's, dude, literally, I, and it's not a movie podcast, so I won't get too into it. But my first real high school breakup, I watched Submarine like every weekend for like three months straight. And I was just like, yeah, I get this. Like, this is my guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> Look, here's the thing. Uh, I also had a fucked up experience with submarine. This is a bit movie podcast now. We've already done like every other genre in the last ten minutes, so we're right. just going for it. Welcome to a what's a movie podcast? Name a movie podcast. All right, we're on blank check now. I I know too much about podcasts. Maybe that's why I'm hosting one. Sorry, submarine fucked up story. Uh, I was I watched that movie the first time when I was 18 years old, and wow. I was a fr- co- freshman at college. It was Valentine's Day, <laughs> and I watched it alone in the dark while my roommate was off doing valentine's day activities whatever those entail and i had a girlfriend at the time and she was two she lived two floors down from me do you know still like do you know what she ahead. was doing uh being a bad girlfriend like it was it's uh, a whole thing like the this theory is, of a dead man song yeah I, I don't know theory of a dead man but you, you just have you know better taste than me you've never seen perks of being a wallflower you know bands that i don't know the name of i can and, i can assure you that that is not a good taste thing <laughs> I, can, I don't know I can assure you of that. That is a white trash thing. It is a white trash thing? Yeah. That is a that is my lower class elitism showing uh showing yeah. through right there. I gotta I gotta gatekeep all the upper class from knowing about Theory of a Dead Man and Three Days Grace, all the bad hard rock bands. I have a TikTok account and I this is a music podcast now. Welcome to uh uh dissect <laughs> with fucking whoever on spotify exclusive Thank you. you saved <laughs> yeah. me you saved me <laughs> yeah here we go i'm the guy that knows the podcast names and you know white trash bands we got it we got yeah. it this is this is a dynamic for a podcast right here um, <laughs> would it be funny if i just cut out the last 15 minutes yeah yeah yeah. i think it would be hilarious <laughs> no think... i'm keeping all of this it'd be funny if i had a four-hour podcast episode and then we don't talk about the subject for two hours because we just keep thinking of different movies well i'm asking this yeah i'm asking this out of love are are, do you also have adhd i don't know but yeah 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 i never like it's i think i feel like it's a thing with everybody in our generation to where like if you never got diagnosed with it as you get older like you start to learn more and more about one adhd and two yourself and you're like oh yeah fuck yeah (laughs) like like yeah oh can i curse Yes, you can say all the curse words you want, except the slurs. Don't say the slurs. I would really, I would really appreciate if you don't say slurs on my show. We're out of Cumtown. We can't do that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Then I'll cross. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get new notes. Then <laughs> one second. Oh let me my god, new notes. Yeah, I think I do. I think I do have ADHD. But it's also one of those things to where, like, I hate diagnosing myself with anything because that's what I did my entire like teenage experience. I would convince mm-hmm. myself I had cancer like three different times. Ignore that voice crack. It could have been like, uh, if I was a teenager when that happened, I would have probably thought it was cancer. But yeah, <laughs> it's the worst thing about the internet. Cause like the classic bit is like the WebMD, like, oh, maybe you have cancer, blah, blah, blah. That was real. Like that, that was my teenage experience. I have well, a, yeah. le- go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Sort of to drop the pretense of like, you know, podcast hosting for a second. I mean, like it is a cocktail of a lot of things. I found out, less than a year ago that I had ADHD for real. I suspected it for two years and it took me two years to get a diagnosis between the pando and the act of, you know, seeing a doctor 
and all the different doctors you have to see to get properly tested for it. And then you have to see a psychiatrist and then you have to go see a doctor that will give you the, 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 the medicine you need to actually cope with the ADHD. And this is all very difficult to do because keep in mind, you may have ADHD. So organizing isn't your strong suit and no. remembering to do things isn't your strong suit either. And you just sort of like get off the beaten path a lot. It's why RPGs take me twice as long as even a 100 hour runtime. I was about Video to say, they, yeah, I was about to say they gave you like a, like a mental illness side quest, like, like a fetch quest <laughs> to like yeah. get your ADHD diagnosis. That's actually been like a great coping mechanism for me, parsing my ADHD, like, like gamifying it to like, Oh, this is a little side quest I'm doing within this. But like, it is like a problem with number one, ADHD isn't an accurate term. It's not all encompassing for how it manifests because I don't consider myself a hyperactive person. I consider same. myself broadly lazy. Uh, <laughs> same, same. They said like, oh, well, there's multiple types. There's an attentive type. And it's like, oh, that's me. I don't know anything that's going on ever. And I don't want to do things. And it's hard to get up. And uh, she's like, okay, yeah, you have an inattentive type. And you are also very easily distracted. And you have no idea what's going on. Uh, go get your medicine. And now I'm recording a podcast and, you know, it's go, it generally goes well until we go from like topic to topic and it's fun. It's fun to go to different topics, but I can't imagine this being, I'm sorry if you just like wanted to listen to us talk about the, the queer little post-apocalyptic game. And, you know, instead you're just like hearing about all these different subjects instead. You got 23 minutes of, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald talk, um, a come down mm-hmm. drop, <laughs> like, you know, I burned a lot of bridges today. Uh, we're not going to get Lee Harvey Oswald on the show. I don't think the Unabomber's Damn. down. Nick Mullen, that's an out. Like, I, I made fun of Come Town. Man. Who's left after that, you know? Who's left after that? That's a that's a, that's, that's, that's an interesting Mount Rushmore, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> All this because we talked about white trash bands and how, like, TikTok makes fun of me. But, well, the point I was trying to make, I use TikTok and TikTok's algorithm knows that I like t- car seat headrest. Right. So all the videos I get are just people shitting on car seat headrest because <laughs> for, right, for good right reason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love car seat headrest too, but God, I hate car seat headrest. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I hate those guys. It's gay Weezer at the end of the day. What can you do about it? It, it really is. It really is. Plus I hate anybody named Will. I think yeah. I'm trying to corner the market on uh, on Will Will Toledo. Uh, mm-hmm. I won't make an open threat just so I can't incriminate, but I'll say, uh, "Hey, buddy, watch it." <laughs> so. Will Toledo, you better watch your back in Minecraft. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Watch out because yeah. I'll. Uh, what's what's something you could do in Minecraft? I'll put TNT behind you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Look out. This is great audio. People are just like, all right, I want to listen to video games. And now we're just talking about Car Seat Headrest, a band that... Hey, hey, we talked about Minecraft. <laughs> we talked about we Minecraft, Minecraft, yeah. And that's, we... the, that's the game I chose, by the way, to, to talk like... about. Yeah. Ignore, ignore whatever the title of the podcast says. I'm talking about Minecraft, baby. They got squares, uh, uh, blocks, swords. Keeper quick. What else, what else do they have? Pigs. Pigs, yeah. That's, yeah. that's something in... You're asking a guy who doesn't play Minecraft. <laughs> oh, you got it. You got to play Minecraft. After yeah. this, let's boot up Minecraft. <laughs> let's play Minecraft. Yeah, yeah that'll yeah, be yeah. the. <laughs> we'll get on like episode three Minecraft with Will Leppard. <laughs> <laughs> you should have a you should have a podcast post show that's like hosted by like whoever Chris Hardwick is now, but like a good person. And then like you just play Minecraft instead. I don't think there's a good person who can also do post shows. I don't think those people exist. <laughs> You might be right. You might be right. Like a wrap up show that 
his host of didn't Joel McHale do one? No, you know what he did a post show for was Tiger King. Oh, he did. He he did. He did. I don't think Joel McHale is a bad person, but he did a post show about a bad person. Either way, somebody has to be a bad person involved in a post show. Yeah. You know, I just operate off the assumption that most celebrities are bad people so that when like something bad does happen, I don't have it on like a documented audio record on a podcast. Like, oh, yeah, I love that person. So even though Community is one of my favorite shows, I can't say, oh, I love Joel McHale just in case like he is like Jeff Winger in any way. The women of New Vegas ask me a lot if there's a Mrs. New Vegas. Well, of course there is. You're her. And you're still as perfect as the day we met. Yeah, so let's go back to video games. You know, we talked about you had a Wii that only you played and that you are the first person who was ever born who played an RPG on an Xbox 360. Mm -hmm. You had a PlayStation 3 and then got rid of it, which is just, you know, that embodies the PlayStation 3 spirit so much. (laughs) I was a PlayStation 3 owner for maybe three hours. I say this as someone who has a PlayStation 3 and generally enjoys the library. It is such a goofy system. I would play the PlayStation 3 at my friend's house all the time. And even when I didn't have, like, at that, at that point, a current-gen console. Like, I didn't have a PlayStation 3. I didn't have a 360 at that time. All I had was a Wii. But even playing the PlayStation 3 at my friend's house, I was like, I don't need this. Like, it's nice. It has its appeal. I get it. I don't need this, though. <laughs> like The thing is, like, it's very complex because there are worthwhile games that are on the playstation 3 uh the first immediate example that comes to mind being you know metal gear solid 4 right with that you know with the playstation 3 there's also just like a lot of jank associated with that console because of i talked about this with manu last episode the architecture of that console was so weird it was very difficult to develop for so it was also known for a while for having the worst version of a lot of multi-platform games right uh, at least between the xbox 360 pc and playstation 3 the wii obviously had like the, the, <laughs> the most downgraded version of everything else yeah but, but that's just to be expected they've got like a history of 15 years of that <laughs> but like you can play fallout new vegas like your 360 copy of new vegas if you own one you can play that on an xbox you know whatever the current gen xbox is because you know, the good backwards compatibility, it probably run reasonably well. It might be a little janky, but we'll get into that later. Right. But the PlayStation 3 version of Fallout New Vegas, if you somehow have a PlayStation 3 copy of that game and have a, a PlayStation 3 to play it on, it's just not going to be as competent as the 360 release or the PC release because the, there's just so much, so much stuff going on with the development of that. <laughs> right. I also, awesome. I also want to retract a statement. Um, I don't mm-hmm. want it to sound like I was saying there are no good games for the PS3. I'm simply saying when you are nine years old, you do not care about the good games on PS3. The thing is, you can't play the good games on PlayStation 3 if you don't have a very permissive parent. <laughs> I think my parents were fine, but I remember hiding uh, like my friend. I borrowed my friend's copy of San Andreas once, um, mm-hmm. and I remember hiding that from my parents. And I would play it on my PS2, and I would just like, play it secretively when they weren't home, you know, during summer break. And I'd be like, haha, I I'm getting away with it. But really I like, if they would have found out, they would have been chill. I think they would have just been like, Oh, what are you playing son? No, I had a very strict household growing up. My mom is not a very, was not a very permissive parent. I remember when I was a teenager, not even a teenager, I was like 10 years old. My brother and I got a guide for the 
Dragon Ball Z video game Budokai Tenkaichi 2. Okay. But we were very secretive about it because we weren't supposed to be able to play it like it had the teen ESRB thing on like the the magazine. You you know, we didn't want that to be out because like my mom would see like, oh, teenagers and you guys are 10 and 7. <laughs> and we got caught with it and we were like f- freaking out. Like she was uh, freaking out on us because like we looked like we were hiding a porno mag, but it was just Goku. <laughs> <laughs> but like it still said teen on it. So she did in fact freak out on us. So like our discretion was warranted. The freak out she had on us was like out of ignorance because we were just looking at like oh well here's how you level up your character in the story mode of this game and right she's thinking like oh there's like perverted japanese <laughs> like you know there's tatas in this shit yeah there's complex plans of how to build a like a bomb like a pipe bomb in that book hey it's goku here's the <laughs> anarchist cookbook <laughs> exactly i realized that like i do have a some type of problem because as soon as he said like game guides i it's hard to be a podcast guest because i just wanted to interrupt and be like remember game guides <laughs> <laughs> i mean like that's good that you i have like a like video games enough to know that they used to sell those at gamestop dude i literally okay so the only midnight re- Okay, I went to two midnight releases. I went to Modern Warfare 3 with my friends because like we were just together and we were like, yeah, let's just go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the only one I went to like for me, for myself, was Bioshock Infinite. And I yeah. remember me and my dad got there like 30 minutes early. I was like, oh, there's going to be a massive line. And there were like six people there, maybe. Uh, and then we went inside we bought everything. Uh, I got like a little like decal thing or something for a pre-order bonus. And then I bought the game guide for it. And that's, yeah. I think, the only game guide I ever owned. I was probably old enough to not really care anymore, but I was like transfixed on it. I was like completely dead set on this game guide. I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> like a book. <laughs> it's like a textbook, but for video games. <laughs> like, Especially if you get like a really dense RPG. Like if it's like... Zelda strategy guide those things are the shit man right yeah yeah, like Bioshock Infinite is like an eight hour straightforward like narrative driven game pretty much there's not really much to learn about it I was like yeah I'm gonna learn everything I can (laughs) like yeah the thing is like you would get most everything out of that experience from the first playthrough it's a very you know I'm not you know dunking on your 13 year old experience you can though there's literally a button that tells you exactly where you can go (laughs) (laughs) literally you will never get lost and you know where everything is. And like most things are just like you're shooting. It's a shooting game, you know? Yeah. So now that we're sort of back on like the subject of uh, games, uh, is there any other like big shout, like specific games that you want to shout out as like, you know, monumental will experiences? Yeah. uh, I would say Bioshock one and Bioshock infinite are up there. This is going to be like weird out of context, but it does make sense for me as a person. NBA 2K11 is up there. Okay. Uh, that was that was massive for me. And then uh, I would also like to say Fallout New Vegas. Fallout New Vegas. That is the game that we will be talking about today. Real quick. Like I, I set you up. Oh, and then, no. okay, now we're sidebarring. <laughs> we're going to sidebar. You have to understand, Will, I'm mentally ill. <laughs> I have to get my thoughts out now. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people that I've talked to in the prep work for this podcast, I've asked them ahead of time, like, what game would you be interested in talking about? A lot of people have been bringing up the, the WWE games that you bring up at the beginning, that you brought up at the beginning. Yeah. NBA 2K11, some such or the other, the Madden NFL games. These, you know, games used to be, I mean, not, I don't know if they are or aren't good now, but I was never a huge sports guy barring, you know, Tony Hawk Pro Skater. 
Oh, I could have talked about that too. I didn't even think about that. It's a terrific, terrific series. I just like never like put in my mind like these annual releases had such profound impacts on people. And like I genuinely am thrilled by that, that so many people love the classic wrestling games and things like that. I want to learn yeah. more about that world. Obviously, they're annual releases, but it definitely wasn't like every single year it would hit. It's a thing to wear, and it's still this way pretty much. Every like third or fourth entry is like a great like classic staple, and then they just blow it for three years straight. (laughs) They just make the worst game you've ever played in your life, and then one comes around, and they're like, "Okay, this is the good one now." That sounds like how you know watching sports is in general. That's that's a very authentic (laughs) experience. Like just three years of like suffering as a fan and then maybe you'll get a good season one year yeah that's pretty much what it is as a guy that loves sport i love a sport um that's what it is it's suffering and then you kind of get almost rewarded for it but never really and then and then more suffering all right yeah so let's pretend that i graciously took your perfect transition into talking about the game itself we are talking today about Fallout <laughs> New Vegas, and to set the expectation for our listeners and for your personal comfort as my guest will, I don't want mm-hmm. this to be a comprehensive overview of Fallout New Vegas. Manu and I couldn't examine the nuances of Metal Gear Solid 3 last episode, and that game is maximum 12 hours long. That's including all the cutscenes. And he's an expert on that series too. There's no pressure at all to go over everything. Good art and good writing doesn't comprehensively cover everything and while this isn't good art uh, (laughs) i do think that you know it is good to like not put pressure on ourselves to explore every facet of fallout new vegas okay this won't be the auditory version of a new vegas game guide no this isn't going to be an oral history on the the series or the game itself we, I'm not H bomber guy. I do not have like the mental stamina to just even that video. It's like a scratching the surface of yeah. a game that has so much, so much depth to it. This is literally just going to be two guys talking about a game about cowboys. Yeah, this is mainly about your relationship with the art. And I want that to be reflected in this episode. I don't want it to be about here's Fallout New Vegas and here's why people like it. And this is my review of Fallout New Vegas. And also my friend <laughs> Will is here. I don't. That's not the most engaging thing in the world. And it would be for me because I'm I'm name dropped and involved. Yeah. I would love that. Will, I like Fallout New Vegas. <laughs> you know what? Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. Good game. Right. Huh? That's it. That's it. I think we can wrap up. That's the podcast. Yeah. There's a lot of people who want their experiences with games outside of playing it to be like this. Like they just want the review to be like, this is a game that has the following mechanics and you can play it and buy it for $60. And I have to give it the number score that you like, or you will send a bomb to my house. Literally, literally. I hate the, uh, not to get too sidetracked, but the number system in game reviews, honestly, kind of all reviews, but like it kind of just ruined reviewing things. Absolutely, it did. I have a lot of thoughts on it, which is why I won't get too deep into it. But <laughs> the Metacritic aggregation, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes in movies cases, but Metacritic specifically with video games, it is such an insane mentality. Well, I was going to say, like, the worst part about it for me is, like, I take, I, I don't want to, but I do take stock in it. I hate it. I hate the system. But it's like if I see a game that, that like has a very high Metacritic score, or like a Rotten Tomatoes thing, I'm usually mm-hmm. like, OK, well, it probably is good. <laughs> like, yeah, it is like I think it's a good metric 
broad view, but you're not going to get the nuances of a conversation out of it. In the age of internet that we live in, people have a lot to say and nobody's listening to it. So you're not reading what the journalist is saying. You're reducing their opinion down to a number. And I don't like that. Yeah, I don't like it either unless it's like Anthony Fantano, in which case sometimes I'll like check out like I'll go to his channel and like look at an album and I'll just scroll down, look at the number he gave it and I'll be like, okay, that's fine. Or I'll be like, I hate this guy. Your relationship with a critic or a journalist is supposed to be like, I know what this person's tastes are generally like and here's how they felt about it and here's how I feel about these kinds of things. And you have a conversation with yourself internally. And instead, people are just like, numbers are objective. And (laughs) if this person doesn't line up with my like tastes and sensibilities, that must make them a horrible person. You can't, you can't put a person on the Mount Rushmore of bad people just because they didn't like last of us two. No. Or they did like last of us two. I liked last of us two never finished it, but I like the, he didn't finish it. Yeah. I do this thing where I don't finish games. The whole discourse is about like the ending of the game. Well, I liked what I liked. (laughs) That's all you get. You are the healthiest gamer alive. <laughs> I liked it. I uh, didn't finish it. If there was upsetting stuff at the end, I wouldn't know. Yeah, literally. That's how I feel about it. Stop complaining about the thing that I haven't experienced. You know, here's the thing. I genuinely envy you. And I, I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, like envy that mindset. And there's inevitably, if this podcast gains any steam and it's more than two people ever listening to it, mm-hmm. someone's going to hear you say that. And then I'm going to get a bomb at my house and you're going to get a bomb at your house. Yeah. And then I'll open it. Because I I have a blissful ignorance. <laughs> All right, so that's enough about uh, bombs. Let's Wait, talk I can, about. I can I can segue you. I can segue you. I think. All right. Um, and I also had a blissful ignorance about Fallout New Vegas. <laughs> Let's talk about our relationship with art here. Fallout New Vegas. To give a bit of background for the benefit of our listeners who may be less familiar with the game. This is the part of the show where I'm just going to name a bunch of games and hope you keep up with it. Fallout New Vegas is a first-person RPG that was developed by California-based company Obsidian Entertainment. Obsidian Entertainment was founded by former Black Isle Studio employees who developed highly influential RPGs such as Fallout 2 and Planescape Torment. Obsidian themselves notably developed beloved games like Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic 2, Neverwinter Nights 2, South Park, The Stick of Truth, and most recently, The Outer Worlds and Grounded. The game was published by Bethesda, who have published games in the Elder Scrolls series, the Fallout series from 3 onward, the Dishonored series, and the super underrated 2017 game Prey. Uh, I don't know if you've played that, Will, but Prey is a terrific game. I have not, but I remember listening to somebody rant about it in a good way. I don't remember if it was H-Bomber guy. I don't know. Uh, There's a lot of great videos about people just singing the praises of that game. I love that game. It is, to me the spiritual successor to the first Bioshock game like that. Yeah, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. It is. It's so damn good. I, I just, I just have a lot of love for that game. And also Bethesda published a death loop, which came out last year. Don't no, didn't play that one. Did you play that one? Yeah, I actually loved it. It's not revolutionary, but it's, it's pretty good. I've been meaning to check it out, but there's so many games I need to play. I mean, I'm stuck on Elden Ring right now an hour 50. And then on top of everything else, I have to do a podcast about video games. And I actually have to, Refamiliarize myself with the games that I've already played, like this one. You're subjecting yourself to like the most entertaining way of torture. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god, I have to keep doing the thing that I love, but it keeps me away from more things that I love. Hate it. I live such a charmed life. Uh, 
Fallout New Vegas was released in October of 2010. Other notable 2010 releases include Red Dead Redemption, Super Mario Galaxy 2, Call of Duty Black Ops, Mass Effect 2, Halo Reach, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, Just Cause 2, Super Meat Boy, and Alan Wake. Oh, and also Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. Gotta shout that one out because I just played and beat it and it's a terrific game. Nice. On the PlayStation Portable, I didn't know how cool that game's library was. I um, never had one. I always wanted one, but I was a I was a DS kid. That was my handheld console. I had a DS too, and uh, the PSP was completely foreign to me. And I didn't know that it sold as many units as it did. Especially, it was huge in Japan and in America. It sold well too. But people seem to think of it as like this, not a failure necessarily, but just sort of like. I feel, obscure yeah right? i i always kind of thought of it even as a kid i was just like okay it's kind of like a novelty i can play these games at home most of them at least i can play most of these games at home or i can take it on the bus ride to school maybe and play it for 10 minutes at a time like i think it's a cultural thing like genuinely i learned this from a news uh, metal gear solid podcast podcast sans frontiers if y'all want to check it out the way that that specific game, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, was developed was Kojima wanted it to be a game conducive to the portable experience. So if you are playing the game on a train ride, the missions are only going to be like five minutes long. So you don't have to Mm. pause the game and like drain the battery life or something later. It's supposed to be a handheld experience. And in America, our relationship with public transportation is tenuous at best. Yeah. You're not going to carry around your PlayStation Portable everywhere the same way that you are going to in Japan, where public transit is a given. I think that informs our relationship with handheld devices. So I think that maybe that's why the PlayStation Portable didn't seem as huge here. Yeah. I mean, Nintendo DS was going to sell because it had Nintendo on it. And like the initial gimmick of it was super alluring. I mean, what was the PlayStation 3's thing? It was like it was supposed to be like a, a media thing. And that was right before cell phones and the iPhone became huge and watching napoleon dynamite on a three-inch screen which is my first experience with someone who had a playstation portable in real life was that's that's the perfect way to do it i think it doesn't hit the same i guess to say it plainly my only exposure to it was my friend had one and i played like mlb 08 the show on it once and Mm -hmm. i was like okay like yeah i get it i i don't care about it i don't want it but i get it I'm not shitting on it. I think it's like an actual really cool artifact in the grand scheme of things. I wish that I had been able to give it its a, a fair chance, but I wasn't the most wealthy kid in the world anyway, but lower um, class elite, <laughs> lower class elite. Sure. I wasn't lower class. I think I was just middle class in the middle. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a software engineer. So somewhere. Okay. I, uh, I'm starting yeah. to get the picture now of why you hadn't heard of theory of a dead man. I'm starting to get it a little bit more. No, it doesn't. It's not it's not conducive of a theory of a dead man environment. I get it. I mean, if theory of a dead man, divorced dad shit, because my dad did listen to a lot of divorced dad shit. But cherry. Okay. no, this is okay. Now you've 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 swerved me. Now it doesn't make sense again. You're going to get You're going to have to do a lot of editing on this one. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's it's fine. Here's the thing. Will, you are great for the energy of the show you are what i want out of this experience but you know we are too like-minded in the sense that we are just scatterbrained fucks absolutely it's like there's no way to adhere to a formula this will be like a three-hour cut of a podcast that'll end up being like 30 minutes of actual content we'll see here's the thing i'm probably gonna have a panic attack editing this but it's just like i get really insecure about how i talk right i obviously want you to look good because you're my friend and you graciously came on my show and having you in my environment in my corner over here 
and promoting it is going to, I don't want that to reflect poorly on you in any way. So no, yeah, I, I, I think it'll, I think it'll be fine. I think, I think it'll be fine. Yeah. I think it'll be fine. Yeah. Here. Thank you. Will. Um, how many reads can I do of that until it, uh, until it works? I think it'll be fine. There we go. I think that's the one I'm going to edit myself to sound perfect and elegant every time, but I'm going to keep all your stutters in there. So oh, you look like perfect. a man of the people and I look like a pretentious douchebag. Absolutely. That works. I love being, uh, uh, again, lower class elite. <laughs> All this to say, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker is a good game. Did you, if you remember the games I mentioned in 2010, did you play? Uh, do you remember the games that you were playing around the time this game came out? Yeah, I didn't have my Xbox yet because I got my Xbox the next year because Skyrim comes out in 2011, right? Yeah, it's 11, 11, 11. In 2010, all I had still was my Wii and my DS. So I was probably just playing like, I played the Paper Mario game on Wii all the time i love that i haven't replayed it in a long time but at that time i loved it absolutely loved it i was playing a lot of uh, pokemon as well pokemon's great i love pokemon at that time i don't think i was playing any of those but since then i've played like i played the mass effect the first three mass effect or no 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 i played two and three i never played one mass effect one is like probably the best story in terms of like writing but i think two and three just have like the relationship stuff that people really glom onto. Yeah, I there was a week where we were switching internet from like Comcast to AT&T or something, maybe the other way. And mm-hmm. so I didn't have any games to play. So my friend gave me his copy of Mass Effect 2. Um, and he was like, hey, just beat this like this week. It's a perfect time to do it. And I said, OK. And then I did it. And that's how I got into Mass Effect. Nice. I mean, so. you remember when video games like you could just put it into your console and it would turn on and play and you didn't need to connect to the Internet to download anything? Yeah, it was perfect. It was perfect. Yeah, now I need to contact Spectrum once a day just to ask them if I can play video games. But yeah, uh, what else was on that list? Red Dead? Oh yeah, Black Ops is, it's very fond in my heart because I actually did play that at that time. I played the Wii version of Black Ops and I had a pro controller. And let me tell you, I was dusting the children with uh, Wii modes. <laughs> I was wiping the floor with the Wiimote players. Around that same time, they did a remake of GoldenEye on the Wii. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can talk like, about that for hours, too. <laughs> that should have been your game. It'd be like GoldenEye <laughs> with Will. And then it's like, oh, they're talking about the fucking Daniel Craig game. Yeah, the Wii one. Not the yeah. not the good one. <laughs> the yeah, Wii no. remaster or remake. You know, I'm sure people feel a way about it. But as a, I was 14 years old when it came out and I didn't have the PlayStation 3 yet. So it was kind of like, this is my version of a shooter right now. And Same. I, I, I like enjoy the James Bond series. I, you know, I still got a lot out of it. I remember very specifically because um, matchmaking in the GoldenEye Wii version was like, you know, it was it was a toss up. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you were either going to get a match with three people or you'd like get a full match uh, like or, you know, a full lobby, whatever. Anyhow, I remember playing specifically with like one team and we played like a couple matches in a row. And then after that, we got separated. And I remember feeling like that's the first time I felt like separation anxiety, I think. Oh, but yeah, my favorite game of 2010 was probably Fallout New Vegas. <laughs> Fallout New Vegas. Absolutely. In Fallout, I haven't even gotten through the intro of this shit yet. <laughs> in Fallout New Vegas, you play as a male courier who was shot in the head by a lowlife gangster named Benny, played by uh, Chandler from Friends. This is mm-hmm. real. Shoots you in the head and robs a package that contains a platinum poker chip with the power to control the facilities of the Las Vegas Strip, one of the few independent strongholds in a post-apocalyptic America. 
After you regain consciousness in the town of Good Springs, you gallivant across the Mojave Desert to track him down, kick his ass, and see how this is connected to a power graph between the warring factions of the Wasteland. The warring factions of the Wasteland are different manifestations of poisonous nostalgia. So we have the NCR, the New California Republic. They are trying to be the New America, conquering the country from west to east in a reverse manifest destiny often against the will of settlements in their path. Easy Pete, who is one of the first NPCs you speak to in the game, he's very upfront about how people do not care for the NCR. It's a system held together by gum and paperclips, which is very representative of the failures of a neoliberal power structure that we totally don't live in at all. Not Joe, at all. Joe, Joe, get out of the room. Joe, get out of here. <laughs> I know I'm not talking shit. Get out of here. Joe, uh, kick me out again. Things are hard at home, he thinks. He doesn't know. <laughs> Ah, all right, Caesar's Legion, the other major faction, is a deeper, more transparently evil manifestation of evil nostalgia. They are analogous with the far-right authoritarian return-to-tradition thinking. They are led by a guy who fancies himself a master debater, but is really full of shit and hiding behind a thin veneer of intellectualism that holds a lot of hate and a lot of simplicity and no real sense of structure into how to rule a world. It's just cruelty and a blatant disregard for other people. And since that's power, people just tend to respect that, which in totally no way reflects far-right authoritarian thinking in our real world in the current state at all. That's that's not timely. Trump, Trump, uh, get out of here. Trump, get out of here. <laughs> I'm not doing a Trump voice. You can, you can do, you're on your own with this bit, man. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, I got nothing. I got nothing. I don't live with him. <laughs> I can't, there's no single voice impression I can do. I would make, I could do a Bane voice and you're just like, why are you cupping your mouth shut? <laughs> and like the whole thing about a Bane voice is that it's supposed to sound bad. Like the be- worse a Bane voice sounds, the better the impression is. Honestly, yeah. All right. We still have one more faction left. Yeah. Mr. House. Technically two, if you think about it. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> Mr. House is an old world billionaire uh, who goes through intense links to preserve his mind pre-Great War and has survived out of pure spite for the past 200 years because that's, you know, the billionaire mindset. Right. He is desperate to control this land, even though that it is not necessarily valuable anymore. It's just a vestige of the old world and old money and old thinking and old. Old. Just yeah, old. Just, it's antiquated. It doesn't mean anything anymore. What is the purpose <laughs> of the Las Vegas Strip 200 years after a nuclear war? This is what he has. And if he does, if he loses it, then what was it all for to him? He's it's, Elon Musk. This here's the thing. He's, he's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is just exercising authority, uh, hoping that he can gain power in a new world by having the resources that are remaining in this new existence. It's still real to him, damn it. Those are like the three powerful factions that are in conflict with one another over the territory of new vegas specifically hoover dam which is powering the last vestiges of civilization in this region and the settlements within it so you have the ability as the player in this rpg uh you have a lot of freedom it's an open world game you your character is by your design you create the character you give it the name you explore an open world and you try and go kick the guy who shot you in the head's ass and stumble into this vast power grab do you have anything that you would want to contribute to the mechanics of this game or like something that you think is worth pointing out in like the broad sense of how this game is experienced 
it's it's kind of in the outline already, but definitely just the choice. There's there's not a lot of games that give you that much open ended, that open of an option. You can there's three different factions to choose from, and then you can also just say, hey, fuck these guys, I'm gonna do it my way. Like you've got exactly. four different ways to to beat it, and all of them have like pretty complex uh, arcs, plot lines that are pretty different from one another. Mm-hmm. Even like in the quests you were doing they like make more sense for the faction you're doing it in. It's just good. That I think I, I think that that's I think that that's my parting take. It's good. <laughs> After more than an hour of recording, we arrived at Fallout New Vegas is good. Yeah, that's the thing I really like about this game too is so many games just approach choice as a binary. There's save a priest, kick a puppy. What are you going to do? I love Star Wars and Star Wars is lives within that binary a lot, but even supplemental material wants to explore the moral complexities within this universe outside of the Jedi and the Sith. Fallout New Vegas is terrific at creating a world where there's more than just good and evil. It's a game about ideologies and power and beliefs and what you do in a world that has been broken and people are trying to create the old world again not learning from history if you you could side with these factions if you wanted to the game gives you plenty of resources and very deep storylines to explore with these people if you chose to do so and that's noble because you know some games would just either make that very abbreviated or cut corner somewhere. But despite this game being developed in just 18 months, there's just a lot of depth to all of these storylines and all these factions. And the thing is, ultimately, you can draw your own conclusions about who's the worst, which is Caesar's Legion. And yeah, it is absolutely objectively (laughs) Caesar's Legion. If you side with Caesar's Legion. It always will be. Yeah. It's interesting, I, I assume, to play and explore that thing but i could never bring myself to do a caesar's legion playthrough just because i i have my personal (laughs) ideologies and i'm not trying to say oh i'm a good person because i don't make the bad choices in video games it's just like i can see others i can see someone else do that online i don't want to dedicate my time doing that kind of thing right Uh, see i i am not a good person so i'm willing to admit that i have uh, played through the caesar's legion uh plot line is it engaging uh it's the most personally satisfying. No, that's that's <laughs> good. Uh, it's uh, it's it's probably the weakest out of the four. As you're doing it, there's not much more nuance than oh, this is evil. Even the NCR, it's like okay, they're pretty evil, but you see what they're going for. Like as as you said before, like Caesar's Legion is pretty much just this is evil. What they're trying to do, their ideology doesn't really make sense there's no real concrete anything for it they're just like oh this is us (laughs) like have you uh have you played through like all the other ones besides caesar's legion i've done the ncr ending and i've done the yes man ending which is the i'll do it myself i'm going to liberate and make this an independent nation one but i've never done the the mr house storyline have you yeah that so the first one, the first time I ever played through New Vegas, I did the Mr. Hell storyline. So I don't really remember a ton about it. Again, this was one of my first like voyages into a real like 
open world RPG like that. I had played Skyrim before and I had played Fallout 3 before. I played Fallout 3 for a couple hours, didn't really like it, put it down. And then like a year later, I picked up New Vegas and then I was like, okay, I see the appeal in this, but I still didn't really understand how open it was. So I, yeah, I played, I played with Mr. House the first time. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, me and him played catch. He's a very father type figure in the game. Um, yeah, very totally. After that, I think I did. I've done yes, man, probably like three or four times. I, I always do a thing to where I'm like, all right, this playthrough I'm going to do in CR. And then I get to that point in the story. And then I'm like, well, I just, I just rather do yes, man. <laughs> like I would just rather do that. There's no particular respectful figure that you can really admire or extract a lot out of. It's just a failing system full of scrambling people that are trying to do their best to restore law and order, but they're not effective at it. They're just the people who have Hoover Dam at the end of the day. They're not, right. you, 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 if you side with them on an ideological level, it's just because like <laughs> vote blue, no matter who it's just, these are the people <laughs> in charge and I don't want Caesar to win. I'm going to side with the, the 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 boring guys. I do think the most fun option and the one that makes the most thematic sense for what the game is conveying is the yes man ending, which is, you know, you can t- take it yourself. You just use the robot that has the means to help you out and taking over and getting these people out of power. And instead of having the manifest destiny people or the, the nationalistic, the, the Nazis, basically the Roman Nazis or Mr. House, who's just in it for libertarian reasons. You can just give the resources back and it's maybe not going to be a most clean and tidy ending. It's not exactly like I'm imposing communism on the world or anything like that, but it is the most compelling and thematically consistent version of events to me. And I think it's the most fun, which on a gameplay level is what matters. Yeah. See, that's exactly like that's that's what I mean when I'm like, every time I'm playing through, I'm like, all right, this time I'm going to do this plot line. And then every time I'm just like, all right, I'm doing the independent yes man route because it's, it's, it's the best one. Like, I do think everybody should play through each one, even Caesar's Legion, just man up, be a man about it. <laughs> just, <laughs> just be a hateful person for, you know, 20 hours of your life. You don't have to do the side quest, just play the main main quest. But it's I'll always I will always come back to the independent uh like route. It's 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 the best one for sure. It's the most engaging. And we're not talking about like the specific missions and stuff involved because that would be that would take again hours. Yeah. But it is it is incredibly compelling stuff. And do you want to do a quest by quest breakdown of every quest in New Vegas? Look, I already did the boss by boss rundown of Metal Gear Solid three <laughs> and that took that was a two hour long episode. Oh, I don't <laughs> I would love to go and do every single mission and then talk about how they connected this storyline versus this storyline, depending on who you're allied with. Would it be productive? Not especially. Would it be long? Absolutely. Would it be fun? Who knows? But it would not. I think I would it'd be, be fun. I think it'd be fun for um, the first four or five quests. And then we realize we have like a hundred more. The thing is, like, I haven't. I, I played the game. I played the first few hours of the game this past week in preparation for this episode because I've only played through the game twice. Uh, and they were way back when I was 19 and 20 years old. Also, not everything is immediately familiar to me, but I do know in my heart how this game felt and how much this experience means to me. And I know that you've played the game more recently than me, so you probably would, if you want to go through every single mission, I would love to see how far you can get before you get tired. 
Yeah. But... Um, all right. Let's see. The first one is uh, it's fun. Uh, the second one is <laughs> probably fun too. Um, I that... hold on. I gotta stop you right there. That first mission, it's not very fun. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's fun in the sense of uh, the first time you do it. Like the first time you do it, and you're like, okay, I can kind of start to see the mechanic. I didn't know. Uh, the first mission of the game, you're defending like a small town, the small town you woke up in. You're defending this town from like a gang of uh, like criminals uh, that got released, a whole thing. They're NCR criminals, blah, 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 whole thing. Context, who cares? It's canon, it's not canon, whatever, who cares? Anyhow, mm-hmm. I didn't know until like five or six playthroughs into this game. I probably played it like almost 10 times, not to completion, but you know, like starting it over everything mm-hmm. i didn't know until five you're gonna bring the game to completion <laughs> yeah i just you put that I on was, the record i was edging the game but no i didn't know that you could sign side with the powder gangers until i played the game four or five times mm-hmm. i didn't know how open these quests were until i had played it and beat it multiple times i and think you can just walk right past this town if you want to you don't have to sign yeah. with either of them you can just like wake up all right i'm cured and then just start walking south and see what happens yeah it's it's a thing to where like the doc what's the what what's his name mitchell doc mitchell sounds right yeah yeah, yeah i think it's mitchell he he just kind of like off offhandedly says like hey you can go talk to sunny smiles down at the saloon that's it pretty much he doesn't say like hey you need to go do this or else you won't be able to go anywhere else he's just like hey if you need some help talk to sunny smiles at the saloon and then that's it like you can straight up just walk away and the thing the beauty about this game is you can put into this game exactly as much as you want to which sounds a bit weird but to clarify if you want to talk to everybody in town you're welcome to You, you will benefit from it initially by getting experience points and if this is your first time playing the game you'll get a tutorial out of it but you can just move on and do things the way you want to if you know where you need to go next why would you need to talk to anybody you can just go on your second playthrough the game's extremely open-ended everything is reactive to who you are as the player what i like about this game more than the other fallout games that i've played is that like you will the character's just some guy yeah there's no destiny or legacy attached to your character. You are not the son of Liam Neeson, like in Fallout 3. <laughs> uh, you are not whatever was going on in the fourth uh, Fallout game. I want to go on record saying I love Fallout 4. It's not better than, than New Vegas. I think it's better than 3. I don't think 3 has aged well now that um, I've played New Vegas so many times. <laughs> like, I think that there is certainly gameplay value in fallout 4 i think the settlement stuff is really interesting and very engaging but the depth to fallout new vegas is just unprecedented in the series i think the idea that you are just some guy who wants to just kick the ass of the guy who shot you in the head and everything else is completely up to you and how you want to play it that's that's great stuff you don't have to fulfill some familial obligation like you do in three and four you're just your own character and you can bring your own ideology into the experiences. And that's why it's great that it's not just a binary one or option two choice. It's right. Here's what I would, how I would react to this or alternatively, how cool would it be if I did this instead? Right. There are lots of ethical dilemmas that you're presented with and you can approach it and, Oh, here's how I would do it given the circumstances. Or you can just be like, I'm a little bastard man and I'm going <laughs> to 
cause some trouble. <laughs> and the game doesn't necessarily punish you for either choice. That The world will react to it, and you as an individual will just have to react with those changes. It's very impressive, and I love that. I do think... It's 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 very weird because it's one of the most immersive like worlds I've ever it's probably the most immersive world I've ever experienced in a video game, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it's also a thing to where the world in the game is pretty empty. Like it is. It's it's pretty like it's pretty vast, but most of it is just desert. They do a really good job of, you know, it starts off like you said, you got shot in the head, your whole motivation is I gotta find this guy. Like that's mm-hmm. it. And with each place you go in the game, pretty much, you find out more about you. You find out more about the world. You find out more about the guy who shot you. Like each place you go, you find out more like about those three things. It's it's the most simple way of handling someone showing you around. Yeah. You know, like someone did something to you. How do you respond? And then having that those interactions with those people based off that experience, really, it's just a smart way of writing that as an RPG. I wanted to do something simple and now I'm just caught up in a bunch of cool stuff and a bunch of weird stuff and a bunch of high stakes stuff. Right. And it does it so organically that you don't feel like it's escalating unrealistically going from a guy shot me in the head and stole my package while I was doing a run to, <laughs> all right, who is going to control the Hoover Dam? That <laughs> evolution just feels organic within the world and pulling that off is an impressive trick. We, we can sing the praises about this game all day. There's so much to it, but I want to get to the more interesting conversation within that, which no video game is perfect. Fallout New Vegas launched with a bunch of bugs and glitches, many of which still persist to this day. Uh, Aside from that, what are some things that you wish Fallout New Vegas did better? It's tough because there's so many things like there's it's it's not a perfect (laughs) game while it's also a perfect game. (laughs) Yeah. And can I can I interrupt you after you barely answered the question? <laughs> Honest, no, actually you go and I'll just make my point later. And I'll no, pretend no, that I you go because it gives me more time to think of something. This game has a lot of jank to it. It does. It, there, I'm not going to pretend that the game is flawless on a mechanical level. What drew people to this game wasn't, you know, the polish on it. It was the stuff under the hood. The graphics are kind of ugly. Mm-hmm. The shooting doesn't really work very well. You move too slow. You, you just straight up move too slow. I do not like how in the open world part where you are between settlements and cities and stuff, I do not like how slow it is to walk from one location to the other. I do have some things I want to do later. Have you ever done a no fast travel playthrough of this game? I've never done it. I have. It's torture. <laughs> it's like, especially with no sprint button. Like mm-hmm. the best thing Fallout 4 ever did was add the sprint button. Yeah, like, I get, like I said, like on a mechanical level, I get why a lot of people like Fallout 4. I love this game, but I do wish there was just, I just wish there was a run. There needs to be a run. I know that there's probably a, a, a mod that's like third speed. There you go. Go fast. And we'll talk about mods later, but it's like the game's a little too slow. Despite those flaws, the reason that people glom onto this game is just because of how thoughtfully made it is underneath all that. I've talked about this in the intro, but the game was released too early, 18 month development cycle. They wanted to make the experience when you when you are at a point where you have to decide what am I going to prioritize as a developer? You want the game to be at a point where it's complete enough. And while there were some concessions made on how polished things like the shooting and the movement, it more than makes up for that in terms of scope and scale and depth. And that's why this one has endured more than Bethesda's Fallout 3, which had a lot more in its favor from a development side of things. Yeah, it's also like... The graphics are definitely bad, but I've never, it's never been a problem for me. Right. Like 
the experience is so good. The gameplay is like engrossing enough to where I, when I'm playing New Vegas, even now, I just replayed it like a couple months ago. Even now, I don't even process the graphics. I'm just like, okay, yeah, this is just, this is what it is. I don't care. <laughs> like, basically everything you said about like the flaws, I agree with. I would also add, there's a couple parts in this game where it kind of, the pace slows down very heavily. Like, especially early on, you're doing great. Like, you got this perfect pace. You know exactly what you're doing. And then you get to the boomers. The boomers are like the one thing that is always the roadblock for me. Yeah, it's like the middle point because if you want to do everything in the game, if you want to do it like the perfect way, get get everything, you have to get the boomers. And basically you have to do like five or six of their side quests. And they're all like, half of them are fetch quests. Half of them are like tedious, like get this character to do this, blah, 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 blah. On top of that, after you do all that, then you have to go get the bomber out of the lake, which the first time I did that, you can't, there's like these opaque things on the bottom of the ship you can't really see them that well i didn't mm. know what to do like for a multi- probably like 20 minutes the first time i ever played that because <laughs> i couldn't see these things <laughs> like yeah the boomers is definitely like the part of the game that is the weakest for me if they if they would have fixed that if they would have maybe just made it a couple quests or if they would have did something else maybe one big quest for them i think it, i think it would have been way better but I get it, what they were trying to do. It's like you see all of these people, you see how they're living, you meet individuals. I get it, but... (laughs) And to clarify for people who aren't as familiar with Fallout New Vegas, there are other factions besides the major ones, but they don't have the power or influence to make the power grab that these three major forces are doing. So the boomers aren't just like a bunch of 65-year-olds who are collecting social security checks and telling people to go back to work in a pandemic. Uh, they, I mean, some of them are 65 year olds that would have been doing that if there was a pandemic. Well, they kind of do do that because they leave their, uh, <laughs> they leave their shelter. They leave <laughs> their vault. They're like, we got to get back out into the open world. So they, they basically do do that. Yeah. They're basically just a collection of old people that are obsessed with, uh, military technology specifically, especially bombers. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they love their, uh, bombers. There's a section where a kid um, like an actual child, a literal child is giving you like a mural and giving you the history of the boomers. And basically their whole obsession is just with bombing. But they're not they're not very nuanced. Like they are, but they aren't pretty much. Right. There's another minor faction that emerges in all the other Fallout games, the Brotherhood of Steel, who do, do have a lot of depth and a lot of ties to the military, the military aesthetic. I'm not very good at describing the Brotherhood of Steel because I'm not as ingratiated in the lore of Fallout as I should be. Yeah, but. I haven't played the original games, which nobody crucified me for that. And I feel like that's where you get the majority of Brotherhood of Steel like lore. Like that's where you get the bulk of it. Because everything else is just like they're in the game, but like, well, I guess Fallout 3, they're a big faction, but they're kind of dense in that too. Or not dense, the opposite, hollow. <laughs> You can tell that the developers of Fallout 2 worked on New Vegas because even though it's a minor aspect of the game overall, there's a lot of thought put into the world of the Brotherhood of Steel and how much power that they, how little power that they have in this area and what their ideological framework would do in this setting. It's interesting. The leader of the kings who would only identify himself as the king voiced his displeasure calling NCR citizens, quote, the devil in disguise. 
He added he didn't want to see the NCR in the ghetto and called for a mass quote, return to sender. Other minor factions are stuff like uh, the Great Khans and my favorite being the the Kings, yeah. who are just a bunch of Elvis impersonators who do not have the framework for who Elvis is because that was 250 years ago in the Fallout New Vegas universe. So they just think that he was some deity who ruled legitimately as a leader. <laughs> and I, I think that stuff's just really cool because, I don't know, it's anthropology jokes. It's, yeah. it's, it's funny. Something, something else I would add, especially this last time I went through and played it, because almost every time that I played through New Vegas, I almost always do nothing with the great cons. This last play- playthrough, I actually went through and like I did stuff for them. They're also like pretty shallow. And I wish that they put, it seems like they put so much effort into the boomers and the mm-hmm. kings. I wish they would have like g- taken half of that and put it into the great cons. Because I think the great cons, the kings are the most interesting because it's funny, funny bit, pompadours. That's the yeah. most interesting. But I think the great cons should have been the most interesting. And I know that they're in uh, one of the older fallouts. I don't remember if it's one and two. It might be both. Um, so they're probably more fleshed out there. And that's probably what I'm missing. I need to go back and play those. But I wish in New Vegas that they had more to do and they had more to say. I would say that it's probably a two thing uh, because that's where the NCR come from. And that's, you know, a lot of emphasis on the Brotherhood of Steels and two. Yeah, I would say that the cons are probably a two thing, too, because it's again, like it's the developers of two who came into this game and really fleshed this stuff out. Yeah. Which brings us to like another thing where like the community in this game has persisted for so long and have helped contribute to the longevity of this game and its legacy by having a dedicated modding community and that modding community will do things as simple as oh well they weren't able to patch out the bugs and glitches because they weren't paid to rally together and get out the hundreds and thousands of glitches that persist in this game and you can mod the game to fix that stuff you can fix the crashing issues and then there's just way more advanced stuff like let's overhaul the graphics let's add more weapons and then like it gets just really weird and really specific where it's like i'm going let me put my own storyline in this world or let me put a sex mod in here or let's make the boobs bigger and it's just varying levels of engagement with people of all kinds of different walks of life really just consolidating on a game that is has a lot of opportunity and had a lot of promise and delivers on it for what it can do but it's really the fan base that elevates it all to another level. They go, it's the dedication of the fan base and the modding community is just incredible. It's people who are dedicating themselves to cleaning out the bugs and glitches that were left behind because the developers weren't paid to get rid of the remaining bugs and glitches. It's people who are willing to do graphical overhauls for people who are bothered by graphics. Um, (laughs) It's people who are just you know, putting big boobs in the game or putting sex mods in there. If you're just a weird little pervert who wants to watch the polygons fuck. Those are our our bravest warriors fighting the good fight. It goes from like, oh, this game wouldn't run on my computer well, and now I can finally play this game to I can craft whole new experiences in this world and experience stuff that other people in the community have made within the framework of this really compelling storyline. And I think that's I think that's beautiful. New Vegas on its own is you know uh, an impressive beautiful blah 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 blah. you know everybody loves it and then like because of that the mods have come around and 
not every mod, obviously. There's a lot of mods that miss. There's the one that just came out like six months ago that took like eight years or whatever. And then that what what was that called? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. I'm not as like I don't get the newsletter for okay. everything that happens in New Vegas. <laughs> That's what? fair. There was one that came out literally in the last year, and they worked on it for the better part of a decade. On uh, and it's a massive mod, new area, new story. Uh, different factions different choices blah 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 blah. basically like a whole new game a whole new experience wow it came out it was shelled everybody hated it there's a lot of questionable uh like ethics stuff in it uh and not in the way that new vegas does it it's like actually questionable (laughs) it's a whole thing so there's definitely like a good and bad to it i'd say overall as a whole just being able to have like such a great base for a game even a game that you know like we said it's 12 years old now Everybody knows like the engine is bad, blah, 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 blah. But it's still the perfect base for people to build like what they want to build off of it. Like you can still make great stories based off of the story. Pretty much the bones of it are so strong that the surface level problems don't ruin the experience for people who are willing to meet it halfway and understand the background of why it is the way that it is. If we didn't know that Bethesda screwed over this company and gave them a very short window to make it, you know, we'd be less forgiving. But knowing those circumstances, like one, we can rally as a community to help other people have a more tolerable experience for people who aren't running it on good hardware. It enhances that experience. But obviously, you know, any game community, period, it doesn't matter if it depicts something or doesn't depict something, it's going to have, you know, bad actors who really do legitimately love the Caesar's Legion stuff or just the themes of nuclear war and the rot of capitalism just completely fly over their head. So, you know, a community is beautiful, but there's obviously a lot of, you know, nobody's perfect. Anyone who has ever talked to more than five fans of anything know that there's no (laughs) chill fandom for literally anything. Yeah. Yeah. I do uh I do want to highlight one mod in particular. I was never super into modding, but New Vegas is like the one game that I I tried out a bunch of different mods. I had like an awful little like HP laptop that could barely run New Vegas. And right. for some reason I was like, yeah, I can probably put mods on this. And then I did and I would play I'd play with probably like 20 mods loaded and they'd it, it'd play 20 frames per second, maybe <laughs> like but I I still loved uh, doing it because the mods were great. Twenty frames per second is like still higher than the base game sometimes. But continue. yeah, honestly, it is. It is. It's it struggles, but it's 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 gotten better, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends. the the mod The mod I want to highlight is New Vegas Bounties. For me, every mod that I've downloaded since, especially like specifically quest mods, like I love quest mods. I love anything that like, hey, new story. Somebody wrote this. Somebody, it's usually like a whole team of people writing, voice acting, and then doing everything else for it. Like you have to do everything for it. And I think that's insane. Like Mm -hmm. the amount of effort it takes to make a quest mod is bonkers. And the amount of coordination, the amount of people, it's ridiculous. New Vegas Bounties. Why does my voice keep cracking? Ah, New Vegas Bounties is a perfect example of just like what a mod should be for me. It's, It's fun. It's engaging. It's got a great story. It's literally when you download it, all you think is just like, oh, hey, it's going to be bounty side quests. It's going to be like, hey, go kill this guy and then you get money. That's what you think. And then like they build the story around it. It's kind of similar to the actual New Vegas structure to where it's like, hey, there's this guy. You're probably going to have to kill him. 
and then they keep building more off of that. It's it's perfect. It's it's perfect. It's a perfect. It's also the thing with modding is like it's kind of a mix of like fan fiction and it's also like adding to your portfolio. <laughs> like, right. There's been countless examples of people having great mods like that show they're capable of doing it and then they get hired by, you know, the studio that they modded like or the studio that made the game that they were modding like yeah no i mean the people who worked on this game did not understand the engine so they had to hire a notable oblivion modder to help them like understand the actual engine because they i I did not know shit about it yeah i love i love seeing people working hard and making something great and then they get rewarded for it and i feel like Especially with like the New Vegas community, it happened a lot. Obviously, with mods as a whole, it's with like just modding video games in general. It's kind of like it's a very mixed bag of either like, hey, you get rewarded, you get praise, or it's like, hey, why did you do this? This is a mess. You suck. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's the internet. That's just what's going to happen. But like, it doesn't matter what game it is. Like on the surface, you think, oh, well, this is because there's so much political ideology tied up in this game that it's going to attract a lot of bad actors who do believe in Mr. House's libertarianism or do believe in Caesar's Legion thing. And like ideology in gaming, sometimes it's a factor, but most of the time it isn't. Yeah. Another modding community that has a lot of problems is Stardew Valley. And Stardew Valley is a very pleasant uh, farming simulator. You know, people want to do mods for whatever reason. Maybe it's just because they don't like the fishing mini game. Maybe it's because they wish there were there were more characters to sustain the amount of gameplay over time. And then there's people who want to put weird traditional Catholicism into the world or want to whitewash the few non-white characters that are in the base game and do just weird, horrible, sexist or misogynistic or white supremacist stuff to the game. And the guy doesn't condone that in any way within the text. The game is fairly anti-capitalist and what little what little thoughts are in the game but it doesn't matter if your world is perfectly pleasant or does have people crucifying people on crosses in the name of caesar there's just it's everywhere and it's gross it's a mixed bag there are people who do it for passion and for love and out of love for the game and the community and there are people who just want to change things because the control is out of their hands and they want to make it more in their image, which is a gross perversion of looking at art. It's for me, it's kind of, and this is a weird analogy, but it makes sense to me. It's kind of the same as like 3D, and this is not a, I'm not kink shaming, but like okay. the same as like 3D animated porn. Like mm-hmm. that, it's like, okay, that's fine, whatever. But it's like you have this incredible talent. It's it, especially like 3D animating. That that's not easy. That's incredibly hard. Like yeah, it's so difficult. It's so and much like, easier to do regular porn. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's the same with modding. It's like this is such a difficult thing that you're clearly very good at. Why why use it for this? <laughs> why use it for whitewashing Stardew Valley? Why use it for Marge Simpson getting banged by Peter Griffin? Like, I get that one. I do get that one. I actually, <laughs> there is, there is an audience for that. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's look, you played Bioshock Infinite. There was just a lot of people who were horny for Elizabeth. And yeah. now those people are probably very lucrative 3D <laughs> animators and you're a lot of beloved properties now. I haven't seen many Elizabeth ads recently, but there was a time <laughs> where every website you would go on would have one. <laughs> 
this is a funny tangent to go on, but I'm going to lean into it. I feel yeah. like the release of Overwatch kind of like took the attention away from Bioshock Infinite finally, because now you had instead of one, you know, traditionally attractive girl that you can make porn of in a video game you had like 30 now yeah and that changed the the course of everything and people will make porn out of anything we have princess peach porn that's actually technically bowser porn right is bowser as princess peach and (laughs) his or her name is bowsette it's also just so convoluted because we absolutely should have more video games with like women characters women protagonists but also we can't give them more (laughs) like we can't give these guys more like ammo for this. <laughs> like they're, we know what they're going to do with it. We know what they're going to do with it. We got to stop them. It's one of those things like people are going to do whatever they're going to do anyway. So fuck the haters and just make what you're going to make and let people show who they really are underneath that. I think my conclusion from the porn thing is none of these words are in the Bible. I don't know where we got to. to- <laughs> The Rule 34 concept of if it exists, there's porn for it. I think it's just, I, I, I actually don't know. I just don't know. I, I literally don't know. I can, I can confidently say, and this is, you know, I've been on the internet since I was basically born. I've seen a lot of porn on the internet. Um, I don't think I've ever seen New Vegas porn. I know it's there. I know for a fact it's there. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen it. And maybe that's why I love this game so much. Maybe it hasn't been perverted for you the same way that Bioshock Infinite or Overwatch or any other game from Halo is. Yeah. Any, uh, anything. My partner asked me when we were watching, I think it was maybe adventure time and they turned to me and they were like, do you think there's porn of this show? And I said, Oh, absolutely. There is (laughs) like not just this show, but everything. And when I mean everything, I mean everything. I mean, JJ, the jet plane. I mean, Thomas, the tank engine. I mean, Overwatch. I mean, any video game you've ever seen me play animal crossing, Stardew Valley, anything, anything has porn of it. And I'm I'm sorry to wreck this innocence for you, but people are perverts and they will make anything out of anything. By the way, I hope you're uh, I hope you're proud of branching out into becoming a cartoon porn uh, podcast. No, yeah, no. I think we've I think we are officially touching everything. I think you know it has something for everyone. It has cartoon porn. It has <laughs> rankings of snipers. <laughs> it has it has. Uh, sometimes they talk about Fallout New Vegas, but you know that's that's sometimes. Hey, we went like twenty minutes straight where we didn't deviate at all. I think we did. I think we did really well for that, like 20, 30 minutes, whatever it was. The King's Gang in Freeside has put an official end to the hostilities with the NCR. An RNV reporter was on hand to speak with the King. I feel so bad. I think it's time we reconsider, baby. That's the news. This is Mr. New Vegas filling in for Mr. New Vegas. Let's sort of go back into it before we go back out again. The game is buggy, kind of ugly, stiff, kind of slow. The modding community obviously has helped sustain the legacy and the bones of the game, like we said, even underneath the initial problems. It's very well realized, very well written, very replayable, and so much to it. Uh, It's sold well over 11 million copies. It maintains an active fan base. And even though it was already positively reviewed at the time, the game has only grown in people's estimation in the years since. Time has only been kind to it, which is not something that can be said for a lot of video games. Yeah, I wanted to ask rare. you, I wanted to ask you, why do you think, besides, you know, 
the modding community, which we've talked about already. Why do you think it's endured? I don't know. It's tough. I definitely think post Fallout 4, um, it's gotten way more like it always it always had that cult status. It always had that, you know, great game that maybe didn't get the shine it quite deserved. Like you said, it was still received well and people still liked it besides, you know, the bugs and everything. I think post Fallout 4, it started to become more of like put more on a pedestal. We waited so long for Fallout 4 and then we got it. It was still good. Fallout 4 is good. I think it's better than a lot of people say, but Mm -hmm. it's not nearly as good as New Vegas. It's also a thing to where we know Bethesda themselves didn't develop it. We know it was Obsidian. The thing about the turnaround and everything, how they did it in, it's 18, right? 18 months? 18 months. And the development team didn't even have a knowledge of the engine. And everyone at Bethesda was busy working on Skyrim. Because of that, especially in the past four or five years or so, we've kind of seen a lot more behind the scenes with like time crunches with studios, especially with like Red Dead 2 and everything. Like now that we've seen that more directly, we can really start to more appreciate. We always appreciated it, but like you get more of a view of what Obsidian was going through and still to go through all of that and to produce such a fleshed out game with so many, like so much character building, so many different options to choose story-wise. Like it's, it's genuinely impossible that they did it. It's unfathomable that they turned around such a complete, well, it's not complete, you, you know what I'm saying, such a fully formed game in that short of time. And, and, it's still, and it still holds up. It's, it's just, it's wild. But yeah, I think, I think that that's a big part of why it's held on in the Fallout 4 not quite meeting expectations made us realize how good and how lucky we were with like new Vegas because new Vegas shouldn't exist. (laughs) Yeah. By all accounts, it is a bastard child that has claimed a throne. I mean, it's far and away my favorite game on the Bethesda list. I like a lot of the games that they published. I quite enjoy prey 2017. As I said earlier, this little janky game is the love of my life. And (laughs) And I think what you said is very thoughtful. I've never really considered how Fallout 4 and Fallout 76, we can't forget that little thing. Um, I actually did. Straight up, I actually did until yeah. right then. That was a disaster of a game. If you are not familiar with the Fallout franchise and you hear the word Fallout 76, it's shorthand for a disaster. And you should definitely look up and how uniquely a disaster it was. There's, I don't want to get into it. It's it's also sobering to realize that there are people that have like, their only exposure to Fallout is 76. And so like they probably hear like praise for all the other ones and they're probably like, oh, I don't get it. <laughs> like 76 sucked. What are they talking about? But and it's because like you haven't seen you haven't seen the real kingdom of heaven. I, I never really considered that perspective that four and its reception and the reaction to it informs the the rise in stock for Fallout New Vegas. But that makes sense. And you know, Fallout 4 does it's a let me you can say here. it's good. <laughs> no. You can say it's good. It's good. It's a good game. It's a good game next to uh, an incredible game. And yeah. when you have that point of comparison, it's hard not to be disappointed. No, I agree. That is really a condensation of what passionate gamers want out of an experience. Because Fallout 4, relative to other Bethesda games, is really polished and has more action-oriented gameplay that is minute to minute more engaging for the average gamer and fallout new vegas like we said has 
a wealth of problems in terms of asking you to meet it halfway. Polish versus heart is the root of this here. There is so much passion in yeah. New Vegas. And when I saw the first, the way that they handle dialogue in Fallout 4, I almost like immediately said, fuck this game. Having to choose between four options on the, you know, input pad versus scrolling through various fully realized sentences that you know exactly what you're going to say and how a person is going to respond. There's, there's just no contest there. No, and I'm yeah, sorry that not. I'm dunking on four uh, a bit too much, but um, I think, no, I think you're right. I think that that is the biggest, there's, there's a lot of gripes to be had with four. I, like I said, I think it's great. I think it's better than people say, but I still have mine. That's my biggest one is the dialogue system. They wanted a voice actor and everything because, like, you know, they hadn't had one, blah, 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 whatever. They wanted a character character, but mm-hmm. it it's dissociating. Like, you can't put yourself in the character as soon as you hear the voice, pretty much. And then you feel tied to a 25% like dialogue option. Like, right. That's it. You have four options, and not even four options most of the time. It's like two, three. And it's just not, it's, it's not the same. It's yes, no, no, but ruder and yes, but ruder. Literally. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, that's all um, it is. But, and then also like, I don't know. The main quest of New Vegas is the thing that people always remember the most for good reason. But like, mm-hmm. it just has such a, like a wealth of just side quests and almost every side quest in the game is like memorable. There's so mm-hmm. many side quests and I remember so many of them and it's just, there's very few games that do that to where you have both main story and side quests that are memorable, great, iconic, like tied together. It's, it's, it's good. I think it's a good game. Yeah. There's a, my favorite all time side quest is in this game and it is not to go too deep into detail about it because that alone merits like hours of conversation. The cannibalism side quest. Yeah in like the mid to late part of the game is it's, it, it's, it's functionally its own video game in terms of having a complete arc and storyline for all the characters that you're introduced to and a twists and turns that the story takes and the options that you have to handle the situation and to rectify the situation or to enable or make the situation worse. Yeah. It's, it's bonkers. Good. It's insane that like that much thought was put into side quests that people might not ever do. Like I know that the like I know with that one especially like the game at some point tells you like hey you can go meet these people and then if you do that you'll probably stumble upon the quest but still a bunch of players just aren't gonna do that you know here's the world go out and see what you like and then Fallout Four is like here's the experience that we kind of want you to have play within that line and yeah. that works for a lot of games but we we were spoiled with how New Vegas handled complex storylines sources close to the emeritus tell us a newcomer has been meeting privately with bosses nero and big saw unusual for a family outsider Asked the comment big saw said quote the fuck you looking at you're wearing a wire are you i'll break your fucking kneecaps hey get back here and that's the news i think another thing that has contributed to this game's legacy long term and i've only really had to think about it recently is at the time it was released, 2010, it was one of the very few games with positive queer representation mm-hmm. in 2010, which was, I mean, tenuous. I mean, it's things are still tenuous now in terms of non-cis, non-straight representation in video games. But back, even back then in 2010, it felt 
groundbreaking to have more than one gay character in a game and for you or you as the player character to have non-judgmental intercourse with with anybody regardless yeah. of you know your gender i think that's like you know there's a meme that a lot of trans people really really enjoy this game and I never really thought too heavily about that. It's just like, oh, it's a great game. I get it. The same thing with like Final Fantasy fourteen. I'm not quite sure why these two games specifically uh, have such a huge fan base, but for New Vegas, it finally clicked for me. It's just like this game presents non-straight characters non-judgmentally, and there's more than one of them. What is it? Arcade Ganon, your yeah. companion is one of them. I think Veronica Arcade, is Veronica. Um, is yourself again. And those are just three primary characters off the top of my head do you think that you know i have a, a point there with the the non-judgmental queerness in games what if i said no yeah i want to i want to <laughs> no, no, no 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 i'm not i obviously i agree i agree it's it's treated also in a way that's like so careful while also just being so like not a big deal like it's entirely it's a big deal but it's never like a big deal in the game. Yeah. The game is a power fantasy, but I find it so interesting how characters have their own nuances and sophistication that you can't just sleep with everybody that you want to sleep with. It's not a blind. Everyone has their own tastes and sensibilities. So you can't sleep with the gay person. If you are playing a, a heterosexual straight person of the, you know, opposite sex, you can't, it's denying you that because these are sophisticated characters with their own thoughts and opinions. And I think, I think that's really cool to see because, and again, like video games, romance is always seen as a reward for putting the right number of inputs into something, but they're giving not only, Oh, I'm gay. uh, So you have to be this gender to play me. It's more like I have, I'm a person. I am a fully realized character. You're seeing that in me and you see that there's more to me than just being the gay guy or the gay girl. I have this complex storyline that you can explore. Arcade Ganon and the Caesar stuff is incredible writing. And the Veronica and Brotherhood of Steel stuff was some of the most memorable stuff that I experienced in my first playthrough of the game. Yeah, Veronica is definitely like, that's that's my girl. Yeah. I love I love Veronica. I love Veronica so much. Her her quest line is one of, it might be my favorite in the entire series. Like Everything with the Brotherhood of Steel, the finale to that, her arc through it to where she's like, I can save them, I can help them, we can redeem, and then like just crushing, just, oh, it hurts, it hurts. And it's stuff that you can just completely miss, because yeah. you can play the game however you want to, and you can not even have Veronica around you. It's Yeah, Veronica is literally just somebody that you meet at a trading post and you you can never talk to her she's like there's no quest in the game that's like hey go talk to veronica Mm -hmm. like she's just a person that's there and she's completely like nondescript she's just in like a hood and that's like pretty much it and then you can talk to her and she's one of the most fleshed out characters in the entire series and oh love it love her yeah love her great veronica's my friend and i care about her a lot (laughs) yeah honestly every this game uh, I think every companion in the game, with the exception of maybe, I don't remember Raul that much. I think Raul's storyline is mostly straightforward, but I think everybody else in the game has like a complex like companion quest associated with them where you actually get to know the people that like 
you know, you're traveling with. It's not just like, oh yeah, these are my buddies that shoot people for me. You know, these are my hired guns. It's like, no, yeah, these are people that I care for. They care for me. We've helped each other, blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's, it's a great. beautiful little uh, community you build. No, no, it's terrific. And I eat the companion shit up. It's like one of my favorite tropes in the uh, RPG genre is just getting to know your team and building a relationship with them. Have you uh, have you played Outer Worlds at all? Yes, I did. I remember asking you about this on Twitch. I like Outer Worlds. Uh-huh. I don't love Outer Worlds. What is your perception of it? It's kind of the same. I've played like a decent amount, but not enough to get super far. I was just going to say like Obsidian has this thing with companions because like they do the same thing in the Outer Worlds with Parvati. Was that her name? Yeah, Parvati. I love one? Parvati. Yeah. They're so good at making these characters that are close to you actually feel close to you these people that are going to be with you for you know possibly the rest of the game depending on if you keep them around will actually feel like friends and actual like real people that you're traveling with and they do they do such a good job of that good job obsidian obsidian yeah good developer overall we'll loop back to outer worlds in a bit i do want to just touch on a couple more things um the soundtrack for this game which we haven't even touched Highly memorable, very distinct. I don't even know how to approach it. I <laughs> just wanted to a, point it out. Uh, no, Big it, Iron. Big Iron. It stands on its own. It's a thing to where if you would have told like 13-year-old me, I probably played this game when I was first 13. If you would have told him that like, hey, you're going to love oldies music <laughs> because of a game where like you're a cowboy shooting uh, Matthew Perry. <laughs> like it's insane. It's insane that this game has put me onto like oldies music. And I don't listen to it. It's just like if it's if I'm listening to it, it's probably through Fallout and I'm going to have the time of my life. I have a definitely a deeper appreciation for that era of music because of the way it's yeah. incorporated into the Fallout games. New Vegas far and away has my favorite soundtrack out of all of them and I think that the it's such a good relationship with licensed music and video games because I feel like a lot of video games just sort of curate the music and put it on there. And it's like, Oh, I recognize these songs. I like these songs. The Grand Theft Auto soundtracks are good. I especially like Grand Theft Auto San Andreas's because it's very early nineties music. I I, I dig it, but it's so simplified in new Vegas and it's more than just recognizable Sinatra hits or something like that. It's Marty Robbins, big iron, which I never would have heard of in isolation. Otherwise, I think Fallout as a whole is really good at that. Like, cause kind of like you said, when I think of like licensed music in video games, I'm thinking of like, like sports game soundtracks, how it's just music that plays on menus or GTA. GTA is kind of an exception because they'll do like a radio station and they make it feel more like involved, I guess. New Vegas, New mm-hmm. Vegas also does a radio station for anybody that all Fallout games, all Fallout games uh, do a radio station too, if you haven't played them. But for some reason, it just feels like alive and it feels very like real and personal. And a big part of it is uh, Mr. New Vegas in New Vegas, because at first he's just like like an old timey classic, like crooning radio DJ guy. And you can hear the same line 20 times in a row because he doesn't have that many voice lines. But there's something about him to where it's just like, yeah. And I know it is. Is is it Wayne Newton? Is that who it is? No, it is Wayne Newton. They got a guy that, you know, is a, is a, is a Las Vegas guy. (laughs) Like, but yeah, the music in it, I remember when I was first playing fallout and everything, I would play it in my living room. 
uh, on our TV. So, you know, the volume would be coming out of the TV speakers and the living room was right in front of our kitchen. So my parents were, you know, always in the kitchen fixing food and everything. And they, I, multiple times, multiple times, they would just be like, what are you listening to? <laughs> like, my parents are uh, old. My dad is in his 70s and my mom is uh, in her 60s now. They have kind of more of a tie to the music of Fallout. Not like directly. They're not that, that old. But, you know, it was still around for them. No, it's stuff that their families would listen to. Yeah, and, they're, yeah. yeah they're familiar with it enough. Um, and so they would just be like, wow, that's that's weird. <laughs> like, yeah. Canonically, it makes sense. And then when you're actually playing it, like thematically and everything, it also somehow makes sense. <laughs> like, it, it feels right. It, it, the songs are perfectly curated for the setting thematically. You know, the songs are broad. They're very broad 50s pop songs, but Johnny Guitar feels right for the world and yeah. Big Iron feels right for the world. And they have, they're, they're not deep, deep cuts, but they are songs that most people would not have otherwise heard and to stake your claim into a song to the point that other games wouldn't dare to touch that like if you heard big iron and anything that wasn't fallout new vegas you'd think the same thing as hearing where is my mind in a place other than fight club it's like you're taking a big swing here buddy yeah yeah it's a risk like you have your big songs like ain't that a kick in the head and blue moon and uh you're nobody till somebody loves you but those smaller songs are just yeah, Chef's I, kiss, great. I never would have heard Johnny Guitar in my life, like without New Vegas. And then like now that's a song that like is sad. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a beautiful, absolutely beautiful song. I feel I feel kind of the same uh, with Fallout 4. They all have the same type of like oldies uh, soundtracks. But Fallout 4 has uh, End of the World by Skater Davis. Mm-hmm. That's a super popular song that I probably never would have heard like the original, like that version of it without like Fallout. It's just, wow. They, they're, they're so good at soundtracks. And you're right about Mr. New Vegas too. Having a, a disc jockey who is reacting, which is again, the big part of what makes this world work, reacting to the events of the game and having brief audio clips of stuff that's happened because of your actions, it really enriches the experience and makes you a lot more connected when you are listening to the radio station, which I almost always constantly am. Yeah. There's... Um, I turn it off sometimes just because I, I need a break from hearing the same eight songs in a cycle, but still. I, sometimes I just want to appreciate the score of the game because it is actually well-realized, and I do think that having that song playing in the background while a character is talking at the same time can be a little bit too much for me sometimes, but otherwise no, it's, it's, it's still on 80% of the time. It's just, I need that 20. See, I only need like 3% of non uh, big iron. Yeah. If, I, need, I need as much big iron as I can get. I think if it were just big iron, I think I could, I think I could hack it out, but I think yeah. sometimes it's just like, I don't want to hear Johnny guitar at this exact moment. I'm already trying to like I'm, a lizard's attacking me. You want you want as much big iron as possible. You think Radio New Vegas has a big iron deficiency. Yeah, exactly. Rumors persist about a super mutant refuge nestled high in the ski lodge to the northwest. If you should find it, do not. Repeat, do not belittle a super mutant for taking the bunny slope. To tie it all back, it's a great game. Clearly, it means a lot to you, and I super love talking to you about it as long as we did and about other stuff too. Speaking of tangents and branching off, do you think this game had any influence on the kind of media that you like? And if so, what would you recommend to people who also like Fallout New Vegas? 
Yeah, one thousand uh, percent. It it definitely did. There's something about and New Vegas is as far as I can like remember. There might be something before it, but as far as I can remember, there is something to me about like drifters in the desert. I love that. I love that vibe. I love the vibe of like a desert. <laughs> like I don't think I would live in one. It's not like a. It's not like a. Oh yeah. Like personally, I feel uh, I'm a drifter. It's not like one of those things. Guy who moved from I Indiana just... to California totally doesn't want to live in the <laughs> desert. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. Okay, this this isn't a real desert. All right. <laughs> you can say what you want. This isn't a real desert here. I don't. I don't. There's definitely video games, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. Uh, in terms of everything else, Paris, Texas, the uh, the Harry Dean Stanton movie. Oh man. Similar vibe in terms of that, but I really need uh, to watch that. It's really good. It's really good. It's kind of a mix of like a desert drifter type movie and then also just like a good like family drama type thing. It's a mix of both. They do it really well. I know that it has the dinosaur in this game. That's the like the one thing I do know about Paris, Texas, besides that uh, Harry Dean Stanton's in it, is that the dinosaur that Boone is in where you can do the one for my baby quest line that's featured in Paris, Texas, and also in Pee Wee Herman, Pee Wee's Big Adventure specifically. When I drove to LA, um, I went through, uh, I don't remember the name of the town. I don't think it's Carson, but it's the place that has the thermometer, like the world's largest thermometer. And that's what the dinosaur is holding in New Vegas. That like statue or I don't know what to call it. That set piece in New Vegas is like a mix of the dinosaur and then also the California, like the world's largest thermometer. And we drove through that spot and I remember seeing it and I didn't realize of the New Vegas connection. I was just like, oh, that's weird. Why do I feel like this is a thing? And I realized like a couple months later when I was playing New Vegas, I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) Like. Uh, Outer Worlds, I would say, uh, but I like I said, I never beat it, but it's definitely a similar vibe to New Vegas because it is Obsidian. If you love New Vegas, you just have to go in with the expectation of it's not New Vegas; it's just similar. Mm-hmm. Like, because if you compare it to New Vegas, you're 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 dead from the beginning. <laughs> Here's what I'll say about Outer Worlds: I liked Outer Worlds. I'm not dunking on Outer Worlds. I enjoy I enjoy it a lot. Perfectly good. It's not excellent, but it is better than a lot of what you'll play. And there's a lot of personality and stuff injected into it but it's not at its full potential yet yeah it's kind of weird because it's like obsidian did both games and new vegas is like they had the funding but they didn't have the time and then it seems like outer worlds like they had the time but they didn't have the funding yeah it is like more of a double a game than a triple a game yeah and hopefully like because with outer worlds too it's supposed to be like you know microsoft and everything and hopefully if they like get both time and funding they can they can spread their wings again. Yeah, it, it feels like they really haven't fully since New Vegas, but also like obviously they haven't really been able to. The directors of Outer World are Leonard Boyarsky and Tim Kaine, no relation to the pro-life Virginia politician and former vice presidential <laughs> candidate of one Hillary Clinton. They were the people who designed the original two Fallout games, and the director of this game was the design director of Outer World. So it is very much the spiritual successor to Fallout, but like you said, there's just not enough money put into it. They're very, very close to a great new thing. I wouldn't call it experimental, but it is like the first step towards something bigger. Like we needed to play in a small pond before we really got in the ocean here. And I really yeah. hope that the Outer World 2 builds on it, but it is, it's it's getting there and I'm not you know denigrating it. It's still great stuff and Obsidian is a good developer. 
do not expect it to be New Vegas too. No, no, not at all. You cannot, you cannot expect it. The other thing I would say, I, I, I wanted to pull something for each. So Paris, Texas, Outer Worlds, and then I would say also as a uh, as a white male, okay, all hail West Texas by uh, the Mountain Goats. That also gives me kind of like that type of vibe. Like it's it's not the same in terms of like songwriting, but just well, no, it kind of is actually. I have a but, question for you before you know I yeah. give my recommendations. What would your like two or three songs that you would have on your little personal Pip Boy to play? What would that be? Oh God, that's tough because it's like. Am I going for the vibe of Fallout or am I just, is this like a deserted island type thing? No, it's just like, what would you put, like, what would you add to that? Oh, what? okay, 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 okay. Oh, God. Because West oh, Texas God, is a good answer is, and it just like got me thinking. And I know that it's putting you on the spot because there's literally millions of songs in the world, but. Yeah. Uh, ah, shit, shit. <laughs> music, music. Ah! <laughs> Damn. Uh. I still stand by All Hail West Texas, but I'm going to I'm going to replace that one in terms of an album. I'm going to replace it with This is a Long Drive for Someone with Nothing to Talk About by Modest Mouse. Oh, yeah. And then for the song, I'm going to choose Riches and Wonders by the Mountain Goats Mm -hmm. uh, because that kind of fits in. And then if I had to pick two more um, with that one, at least like, you know, songwriting and I guess like the lo-fi style, it could almost kind of fit in there. It's clearly a different period, but it almost fits in there. The other two don't at all. <laughs> um, I would pick probably Range Life or Gold Sounds by Pavement, either one. And then I would probably pick Tired of Sex by Weezer, just so at that point I would be able to turn off the radio. <laughs> like I'd have a clear point of when I would be like, okay, I've had enough radio. Let's enjoy this score for a minute. My touch grass um, time. Exactly. And then the last recommendation I would have uh, is a different one. I don't know if it even still exists, but uh, are you familiar with Fallout Nuka Break? I'm not. Go for it. Tell me. Tell me about this. Okay, so this is the thing that I haven't indulged in since I first played New Vegas, but it was a fan made uh, like YouTube series set in the Fallout universe. And I think they like. I don't think they were affiliated with Fallout at all. Um, it might have been like a machinima thing. I don't even remember. Whatever it is, it's old YouTube that probably doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. But I do remember it being pretty good and pretty like indicative of Fallout and the Fallout universe. And they do, again, I haven't seen this in probably a decade, so it might be bad now. But to <laughs> 12-year-old me, I remember it being uh, like fun and it felt like Fallout and it was good. And it's also kind of tied in with like the modding thing to where it's like you have this base thing and then you have a community of people that probably aren't getting paid and they just do something off of it uh, like out of passion pretty much. And that's what that's what like Nuka Break was. It was just people making this because they liked Fallout and they liked making stuff. And production production wise, it was it was good. It was good. I don't remember writing or acting or anything, but production-wise, it was surprisingly really effective. I'd recommend the movie Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, which is a hilarious Stanley Kubrick satire that has a lot of the comic sensibilities of Fallout New Vegas, but obviously it's pre-apocalyptic. It's kind of just a bunch of dumb people of power in a room making dumb decisions that will lead to the end of the world. And I, I, I love it. It thematically connects to the Fallout New Vegas games. There's obviously references to it too. So there is 
a conscious connection there. Adding to the conscious connection piece, I'd also recommend the Mad Max movies, which, like Fallout New Vegas, are post-apocalyptic stories set in a desert, and it's a very overt influence on the franchise. The general aesthetics are similar. Um, Both have the aesthetic of combining everyday items from the old world for things like armor and accessories. A lot of shit's just broken, just hollowed out cars (laughs) and stuff. Uh, Everyone is adorned in leather and gimp suits. You can actually wear the black leather armor that uh, Max wears in the Fallout games pretty early on, generally. And there are actually new Vegas achievements that reference lines from the movies. And I think Dogmeat in Fallout 4 is a connection to the dog companion uh, that Max has in the second Mad Max movie, The Road Warrior. Like I said, just a lot of overt connections. And I think that that is the framework for the aesthetic of New Vegas specifically because they both are primarily set in the desert. The only thing I would say that is a huge deviation is Mad Max is a huge emphasis on cars. And the Fallout games have never really incorporated vehicles because Bethesda engines are really bad at that. There's a there's actually a 4chan post that's widely circulated in gaming circles uh, that points out that since the engine used for Fallout 3 wasn't built in a way that was conducive for vehicle use, the Metro trains are operated by an NPC that's underground and wearing the train as a hat. And you're just standing inside a character's hat and a train moves from that. I did not know that. That's hilarious. It's it's oh a half God. truth, actually. Like that's what's circulated. The truth is just a silly if you use the train it equips it to your character's right arm and it triggers a special animation so it's equally convoluted and silly and this is all to say that fallout is functionally mad max without the vehicle emphasis watch those movies if you love the game each movie has a completely different vibe and tone the first one is like a gritty low budget b movie that ends up becoming the influence for movies like saw in the future the road warrior is just like a perfect a to b classic action movie and mad max fury road is one of the best films ever made action or otherwise i agree it is terrific and it has tom hardy instead of mel gibson so if that is a deal breaker for you tom hardy uh better person than uh (laughs) as far as we know yeah like i said i can't advocate but i know the people who are definitely bad (laughs) Um, true True. Also, Tom Hardy, not doing a Bane voice in Mad Max. No, he's doing something. He's definitely doing something, <laughs> but you can barely hear him. But perfect movie. I have a couple more. This might seem weird at first, but it'll make sense. Adventure Time. Both Adventure Time and Fallout have a very you know strange sense of humor about them, and both are in post-apocalyptic Earths, specifically after a nuclear war. Adventure Time is a lot more irreverent and fantastical with it, and bright blue cartoonish. But I think most people that enjoy Fallout would get a lot out of Adventure Time 2, especially in the later seasons that meaningfully explore the post-apocalyptic stuff more. And also Ron Perlman is in uh, New Vegas and the Fallout games, and he voices the Lich, which is one of the primary antagonists in Adventure Time. So it works. One last thing. Uh, We already talked about The Outer Worlds. We covered that base. But uh, there's a book I've been reading called Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. And it is also a series starring Mackenzie Davis on HBO Max. Uh, I feel a little weird recommending this one because I'm not done with the book yet. I haven't watched a minute of the series, (laughs) but it is a great book so far. And I've heard nothing but praise for the show. And check this out too, because they're both apocalyptic stories contemplating art and how we keep civilization and art alive after civilization collapses. Uh, There's a group of nomads in Station Eleven called the Traveling Symphony 
who go to settlements and perform for locals. And I have a gamer brain, so immediately I'm going to mentally connect that to the weird factions in New Vegas, like the Kings. Station Eleven, it's obviously more bleak setting, but they mostly perform Shakespeare because audiences connect more to these classic universal stories than they would to the modern stories that were being made prior to the apocalyptic event. And it's not because that art is inherently valueless or worse, but it's just because that kind of modern sensibility is esoteric in their new normal, for a lack of a better term. It's easier to understand the tragedy of Macbeth or King Lear or Hamlet and then to more modern plays, I guess. Uh, I had to read it in small chunks because the content is fucking rough to read, given how close it is to our present reality in a pandemic. But it is great stuff. A lot of ruminations about art and keeping it alive, which sort of brings us into our next segment, which is about game preservation. So this is a segment called No Country for Old Games. Whoops, better put on my newsman fedora here. Ooh, I'd also recommend No Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men is a great movie. Uh, yeah, that's actually kind of very New Vegasy. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, so this is the part of the show where I talk about video game preservation and how accessible a video game is as of the time of record. We are going to rate Fallout New Vegas on a scale of A to ARG, which ARG is being frustrated that the game isn't readily available to play legally and it's not me advocating piracy in any way. Don't don't get that mixed up. I'm covering my tracks. I'm covering my tracks. I'm covering tracks. My lawyers are shaking their head. Yes, I think you're okay. Yeah, okay, great. I appreciate you, lawyers. So before I break down how accessible this game is, Will, uh, how do you play this game when the urge to replay it comes up? For the longest time, I played it on my 360. And then I played it on my Xbox One uh, because it was backwards compatible after a while. Mm-hmm. And then uh, now I have a PC, so I bought it on Steam because it was like four dollars or something. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's it's still uh, it's still available. You know, a lot of games from 2010, especially from the you know PlayStation 3, uh, Xbox 360 era, they are starting to become harder and harder to obtain now that we are two generations out from it. But the benefit of Fallout New Vegas and the Fallout games in general is that there's kind of an expectation that those are going to be PC oriented experiences for the more dedicated fan base. Fallout New Vegas specifically is always going to be readily available on the Steam store for the foreseeable future. You can play it on Xbox 360. If you do somehow stumble into a copy of it, it is backwards compatible with the Xbox One and I believe also with the Series X and S. But they are also available digitally uh, to purchase on the Microsoft Game Store. And it is available to play on Game Pass as well. That gives you Steam. That gives you Game Pass. There's also the GOG option. If you purchase a game on Steam, you can play the game on their service, but you don't own the game outright digitally. That game is technically owned by Steam. So if you are going to buy the game, I would recommend if you're going to mod it to buy a GOG version because that's not going to have the digital rights issue. You own the game outright digitally and you can do whatever you want and mod it and it's not going to violate terms of service. So just keep that in mind because modding a game off of a non-DRM service is going to be a lot easier than it would be on Steam, which has a few extra steps. So if you, overall, I'd say this game is readily available to purchase legally, though ethically you do have to reckon with giving money to the company that screwed over the dev team. If you have a computer or a laptop made within the last few years, you should be able to run the game fine without needing to mod it. But there is a question of how well it's going to run uh, as time goes on and technology changes and computers change, try and figure out modding. There's a lot of tutorials to do it online. 
it is pretty difficult to parse initially, but is there is there still Nexus Mod Manager? Does that still exist? It's called Vortex now. Okay. So Nexus Mod Manager still technically exists. Thank you for shouting out. Well, go uh, to Nexus Mods. It is a good archive of available Fallout mods and mods in general, and it's consolidated all in one place mostly. And they have a manager that would be able to structure how those files should be incorporated into your game, more or less. Overall, I would rate this an A. Like I said, it is just a matter of it's illegal to pirate video games. It is illegal to pirate video games. But they're shaking their heads, yes. Some people also think it is wrong to not give people who developed a game a bonus because their Metacritic score was off by one and you rushed the game out for release. So crime is defined, but ethics are a murky area is all I'm saying. In addition, refugees at Bitter Springs are giving startling accounts of the legate known as Lanius, who is said to be Caesar's top field commander. One refugee told us the legate took over an underperforming squad of troops by beating its commander to death in full view of everyone. The legate then ordered a tenth of his own force be killed by the other nine tenths. And you thought your boss was a pain. Will, we are about to wrap up here. Is there anything else you want to talk about in video games or about Fallout New Vegas or just about yourself? Um, no. All right. You're just a guy. You're just a regular guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a guy. I'm just a dude. You're just a dude um, like the courier. Yeah, there's pretty much no difference between me and the curry. I'm destined to be shot in the head by Matthew Perry at some point. So I look forward to it. Yeah, anything that you would want to point people out to or anything I can include in the description that people should watch? Not specifically watch. I would probably say uh, I would probably say just follow me on uh, on Twitter. It is at fuckmarywill. Everything's basically there. If you just go there, you'll see everything. There's a link tree. I'd say that's basically like the, the home, the hub. The home the, and the hub. All right. Yeah, the uh, the what's that called? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Ignore me. Just just finish. Kill me. Kill you. <laughs> All right, uh, Will. It's great, and I really appreciate you spending the last few hours talking to me about a, a massive game with a massive, massive audience and a dedicated community. You were super great, and I really appreciate you being on the show. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to kill you now. Um, oh, you know how it is. The truth is, <laughs> the game was rigged from the start. Uh, what in the goddamn? <laughs> All right, so you're dead now. But just know, before you die, I love you. I really appreciate you doing this. It means a lot. You know what? I love you too. Aw, that's really sweet. All right, now end me. End my life. <laughs>
Yeah, say, I edge my video games. It's all about my satisfaction. <laughs> and then that's it.